we can now time travel. Set the coordinates for... Boltro! Yes, and what do you do? Does it really matter? Won't learn very much. Look, I'm finding all this a bit disturbing. Cybermen, now Daleks. Time travel in an organ. You'll get used to it. Here comes the drums! <laughs> Hello, welcome to Pull to Open, a podcast that takes a random journey through all of Doctor Who, all of its stories, totally random order. My name is Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal. And Chris and I are a couple of writers, a couple of fans, a couple of journalists, actually, who've uh, been addicted to Doctor Who for decades. Uh, we occasionally write about the show and always, always have lots of things to say about it. And that's what we try to do here. And Pete, uh, in, in addition to being a fan and a journalist and a writer and a podcaster, uh, you've also brought your be best uh, radio voice with us today <laughs> from courtesy of your, I guess, your first cold of the year. It's my first cold of the year, and it's been <laughs> dogging me way too long. Now, it's not what you might think it is, guys. It's not COVID. I got to test on everything. Uh, no, this is it. We're back to the regular diseases, which is fun. <laughs> Good old-fashioned um, rhinovirus like mom used to make. Yeah, it's, it's been annoying. It's been annoying to sleep with, but uh, sleep with. <laughs> that sounded really <laughs> randy. Um, God, I hate sleeping with a rhinovirus. Uh, yeah. It made, they, it made me very popular in Zoom calls. I got to say, I'm getting yeah. a lot more requests to uh, speak up and ask questions in the various meetings I have during the week with this voice. So. Yeah, you're, you're sounding just like what we used to call in the UK a mid-Atlantic DJ. It's, you know, kind of on... Radio 1. Perhaps you'd be on Radio 1 late at night, be taking us through into the morning with some smooth tunes. Absolutely. Dun, 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 guys. And go ahead and turn the <laughs> lights down low as we tickle your ears with Tales from Time and Space. Tales from Time and Space. So, previously on Pull to Open, I'm going to try and match you deep voice for deep voice. Uh, <laughs> previously on Pull to Open, we watched a couple of Capaldi's. Uh, we had mm. Smile and Robot of Sherwood. Uh, Capaldi is the randomizer's favorite doctor, for those who are just joining us. And then it took us to what has been its other favorite doctor so far, Tom Baker, for State of Decay, the vampire episode from a uh, story from Tom Baker's last season. And we, we had fun there. So we, we talked about uh, vampires. We've talked about Robin Hood. Uh, yeah. you know, a lot of, lot of mythology to talk about. And we are now back to an important element of the show's mythology, the second best villains, the Cybermen. Um, and although some of us might think they're the first, we'll get into that. And uh, we have arrived at Colin Baker's second story, Attack of the Cybermen, Indeed. which if you know anything about Doctor Who fandom, you know that this is not necessarily placed shall we say, anywhere near the top of anyone's uh, lists of uh, best stories in Doctor Who history. In fact, I might rank it closer to the bottom in terms of at least stories we've seen. Pete, I think you're a little bit more positive about it. But we will get into that. Uh, yeah, we will get into that, whether it's underrated or overrated. We have a lot to talk about, uh, about uh, reviews. You've been leaving us reviews and about our week on social media. So, Pete, we have, uh, we have a new review. We do, yeah. So first of all, guys, thanks so much for leaving reviews. We really appreciate it. They really help the podcast. Hey, if you're listening and you haven't 
left a review in the podcast service of your choice, please do go ahead, pause the playback. We don't mind. Uh, go ahead and leave a short review. It could just be an emoji. It could just be a rating. It's whatever you guys want to do. Uh, but please go ahead and interact with it. This is particularly relevant on Apple Podcasts. Go ahead and leave us a quick one. Uh, it really does help the show and uh, lets us be, reach more and more ears every week, which we are. Mm. It uh, helps it really the algorithm helps. get into the show. Totally. Yeah. Exactly. Whatever algorithms are at work, reviews really help. I know a lot of the platforms out there don't support reviews, unfortunately. Uh, Spotify, I know where a lot of people listen, doesn't. But if you don't mind, and if you have an iPhone, go ahead and use that. <laughs> use the yeah. native podcast app just to check out the podcast and, and go you ahead can and leave us a review. Open the podcast app while you're listening to Spotify. I say this as a Spotify user. It's okay. You will not reverse the polarity of the neutron flow in any way at all. Uh, but yeah, go ahead and leave us a review there. We we love them. We love to hear from you. Uh, it helps the algorithm, helps you uh, get in more people's faces. I believe that we, uh, I don't think we've updated our listeners on, we, we're, we're in the, like the top 50 TV podcasts now, according to one chart. According to one chart in, <laughs> one country. <laughs> yeah, in the UK, we're but in the UK Italy, is a country that loves its TV. So yeah. No, we're, 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 we, yeah, we're contenders up there. Um, we, we jump in and out on various countries where we, it's, Dr. Who's an international phenomenon, you it know, really it's, it's all over the place. It's all, yeah. we've jumped up, uh, on chat charts in Australia and Italy. Uh, obviously it sort of depends sometimes on our schedule. We we're getting pretty good at being weekly though. Occasionally we have to take a week off here and there, but, um, it's, it's really great to see where sort of things bubble up and, you know, the more reviews that people leave, the more that's going to happen. And uh, we, we are always happy to uh, find more fans and listen to what they have to say. And here, here is what one of <laughs> fan had to say in uh, the U S of a good old U S of a. Oh yeah. I so, know that place. The handle is JC eight, two, nine, five. And they say uh, the headline is the definitive doctor who podcast. Whoa. Five stars. These guys are fantastic to listen to. They have opened my eyes to so many great classic Who eps. First found them on TikTok and was instantly hooked. Oh, yeah. Thank you, JC8295. Nice. That is great. It's nice, short, and sweet. That's all yeah. you got to do. Good example for everybody out there who may be intimidated by leaving a review. You, do, you don't have to say a lot. And I really like this because this is exactly what we're trying to do. Uh, first of all, we're really super active on TikTok, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But also, like, I love that more and more people keep saying we've sort of shown them how cool Classic Who can be, which I think is, uh, you know, that's really great to hear. Exactly. This, this, this is the Lord's work we're doing, or the Time Lord's work, <laughs> uh, introducing the Classic series to new fans. So please, we're not going to send you to our Patreon. We're not going to ask you for anything, but yes. just to, yet. <laughs> yeah, we'll work on that. Uh, but just just leave us a review. That's that's all we want. We're we're here every week in your ears uh, on this terribly random journey. You know, Pete has a great great expense to himself, deepened his voice by two octaves. So the very least you can do is just just leave us a one emoji review uh, with with any number of stars you feel like. But I, yeah, that's that's kind of intimidating. Definitive Doctor Who podcast. I know. We got with, you know the big shoes to fill. <laughs> given how much we have to retcon ourselves. Uh, well, maybe that is definitive Doctor Who. Maybe that's <laughs> that's exactly what the definitive Doctor Who podcast would do. Exactly, it's constantly have to change its own internal mythology and give you confusing and misleading uh, summaries of what has happened in the past. So that sounds like us. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll take it. I'll take it. 
I mean, this podcast is bigger on the inside. Come on. <laughs> you know it is. It's so getting that way. So thank you so much, uh, JC. I'm just going to call you JC. And uh, it's great. So please like leave a review just as JC did. Um, also, like uh, for those of you who know people who might not listen because we're not available on a certain service, go ahead and tell them we might be on that service now because you can listen mm. to us in more places more than ever. Uh, we're finally on Amazon Music. We're also on Stitcher as well as CastBox. And I know every app has its own fans. And so the more apps you can be on, the, the bigger the audience you can reach. Pull to Open is available on at least 10. And they're all still on Breaker. We're still on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple, all the good stuff. So um, you can find us wherever you want on whatever app you want. Yeah, I, I honestly, I, I don't uh, investigate podcasts that deeply. I've never heard of CastBox. I hadn't either, but it's <laughs> apparently big enough to justify a dedicated spot in the anchor. <laughs> platform, I love it. So. I love it. Go. We're on all the niche services. Uh, yeah. Love you, Castbox folks. Uh, leave yeah. us a review there, or or heart us. Apparently, that's what we need. Yes, to do. heart us. That's actually that's a good one because it is one of the few places that lets you interact. There's no reviews, but you can mm. you can put hearts on them. I don't know if that's just a specific bookmarking thing or whatever, but I I've hearted all of our podcasts, Chris. <laughs> I should probably do that too, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. So don't forget, one of the first fifty reviews will receive a uh, wonderful prize from Pete, a collectible mm. that What's is that? no longer collectible. Yes, uh, is what we found out so far. Are you willing to tell us any more about the mystery object this week? Ooh, I, I don't want to. I don't want that's. Hmm. This is tough because okay, it, uh, okay. We'll we'll just basically do this as twenty questions. Does it have anything to do with Cybermen? Not really. Not okay. directly. Not directly. Uh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, next week, uh, I'll remember to ask animal, vegetable, or mineral. Um, <laughs> well, so, that could be it. Could be all three in this show. You know, we'll get there. But our social yeah. media is uh, is doing well. We're we're surging ahead on TikTok. In terms yeah. of how many people are following us there, We're, we've just passed 5,000. Yes. So uh, regular listeners of the show know we were closing in uh, the last time we spoke, which was just a week ago. And now we've we've just now, just in the last 24 hours before recording this, we've blown past 5,000. It, it really happened super quickly. I was actually kind of surprised about how quickly. And a lot of it had to do, even though um, you know, we, we record about a week before it's posted, this past week has mm. kind of been a bye week on mm -hmm. TikTok. So we, we actually went into the archives of the podcast and we, we kept the videos going. But uh, a lot of them did super well. And, you know, people yeah. wanted to talk about um, the Curse of Fatal Death, which was a, a fun one. Uh, and it was a weird, weird coincidence yes. that we put up a, a video referencing the Curse of Fatal Death, which for anyone who doesn't know is the uh, satire of Doctor Who, a spoof. That they did, uh, I forget what it was, Comic Relief? In it was the Comic Relief. It was yeah. one of the early Comic Reliefs, and it was the first time that Stephen Moffat had written for right. Doctor Who. And that was the context, but one of the things is, is it was the first time the Doctor regenerated into a woman, for yeah. this sort of comedy one-off, but Joanna she regenerated mm -hmm. from Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant. Who looked amazing in that, by the way. I mean, yeah. that's they, they really uh, play Hugh up. He's, it's Hugh Grant, but, you know, it's... it's Hugh Grant back in the day when when he really was like these days Hugh Grant uh the last few things I've seen him in he's he's been a villain he played the villain in Paddington 2 of course and uh that the wonderful HBO series with Nicole Kidman that I can't remember the name of like he's he's he sort of seems to have relaxed into being a villain in his in his older years 
Um, mm. But as a young man, he would have made the, the quintessential Doctor Who, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, Too handsome, though, some people would say. Yeah, but yeah. he maybe, maybe a journalist at the Mirror was looking at our TikTok, and uh, that's how they came up with this rumor, <laughs> which seems to have spurred from the, the Daily Mirror's imagination that Hugh Grant was in consideration for the next Doctor Who. However, Hugh Grant responded on Twitter, and he said nothing against... What did he say? Nothing against Doctor W. Doctor W. <laughs> it didn't even spell out who. No, like, you don't give us those extra two <laughs> letters. Uh, time is valuable, you know. I mean, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing against Doctor W, but I'm not. Which, yeah. if you are, if you are on the Hugh Grant train, you you can take comfort from the fact that he said that in the present tense. Right. Yes. He's not, <laughs> but he could be in the future. He's not yeah, really he's a lie about things. Ever since like Spider Man No Way Home, like you, yep. just, <laughs> you can't trust anyone anymore. You they, can't. So, you know, Russell so. T Davies might have told him, you know, you better get out there and do a non denial denial. Yeah. On Twitter. What's uh, What's your feeling on the on the news itself, though? Assuming it was true. I mean, I guess it's kind of been shot down, but you know, if it if it yeah. is, it turns out that who Grant is the doctor. I don't know. What do you think? I about? mean. The the interesting thing about the Mirror article was that it, it definitely tried to link the notion of it being a Marvel style reboot, as in you know you right. you you uh, this is how you get more viewers, how you get Doctor Who to be even bigger the world over is by making it Marvel style, um, and I guess getting someone of Hugh Grant's caliber counts because Marvel can get anyone and has, right. um, and it's uh, kind of like yeah. nonstop stunt casting in a way. Yeah, really. But I think with the aforementioned villain thing, like his face is just becoming more villainous. I I don't know that he could still pull off the Doctor in the way he could in his youth, and it might just sort of seem like he was a bit over the hill. But who knows? I mean, yeah. you know, we've we've had Capaldi play it. Maybe maybe Doctor Who now becomes the retirement home for super famous <laughs> actors, um, and we just sort of get to see them in their dotage rather than seeing them at the beginning of their careers where they're all worried about getting typecast and then yeah. they have to leave i would love it if if hugh grant was like look this is just my i'm gonna do it this is now my retirement home i'm gonna do it for 10 years you know <laughs> i'm gonna go for tom baker's record and uh this is this is what i always hope for with new doctors they will really try to outlast the clock yeah i, I hear you i, I do i do want to see someone go longer than three years at some point um seriously so but with the Hugh Grant thing, I, I I don't like it for the reason I think we just kind of discussed, which is that it's kind of like stunt casting. He's too big. Mm. Like mm. you don't want like someone who's already a big celebrity, international celebrity. I think in that role, I I, I think every doctor has pretty much been someone who might have had a, a decent career up till then in Britain, but hasn't really been. So turned into a phenomenon yet, and I feel like I, I like that. I like that I don't quite know what to expect, and I, that's another one where I'm like, they talked about Halle, Haley Atwell, Atwell, who was in the right. Marvel movies. Agent Carter, I think yeah. would be a great doctor, but I'm yeah. also like, oh, she's already like kind of mega famous, not mega famous, mm. but like she's famous, she's in enough in the Marvel franchise that everyone kind of knows who it is, right? So I kind of want someone to be a rising star or a not. I guess Peter Capaldi wasn't a rising star, but like someone who wasn't like internationally known. And then, and I want them, I want the role to sort of elevate them so that like, you know how, when you see an actor for the first time and they're in an iconic role of some kind, they're, they're kind of mm -hmm. always that role to you, even though they yeah. might go on to have a long career for me, like Harrison Ford, 
was kind of like that. Like he's always going to be Han Solo um, or, or Indiana Jones. I think is oh, sort Indiana of Jones. Yeah, that's, people. He, he turned out to be two archetypes, yeah. which was kind of cool. And so I, I, I that's kind of how I feel about Doctor Who actors. Hmm. You know, like I, I've seen a bunch of them and other like when I see Matt Smith and things and I'm like, oh, man, like, like I don't think it's bad. It gives me a very good feeling when I see them, but they're all they're always the doctor to me. Um, yeah. If so. it is Hugh Grant, I'd, I'd like to see him do a version of the Doctor that's kind of like his character at the opening of Four Weddings at the Funeral, where he's he's late for the wedding, and there's huh. just sort of a stream of expletives as <laughs> as he's constantly looking at the clock and trying to get dressed and all that stuff. I'd, I think that would be a great thing to see the Doctor do, like because he's always late for stuff. He's, well, if you think of all the rom-coms he's been in, especially yeah. in the 90s, that... He's he's got the doctor companion thing down and in a way that I think Russell Davies would love to write it, you know, like, yeah. so yeah, he kind of, I know he's a bit too old now. He's 61. Yeah, he kind of have creepy old man vibes. Um, but yeah, a little yeah. bit, I suppose. You'd a have to bit. downplay it. But then we kind of just had Capaldi doing that. So then kind of what's the point? Right, exactly. Yeah. And we're just sort of retreading old ground here. Yeah, it's I'm more interested in the Marvel style rebooks. I think maybe that has a ring of truth to it, that that's what yeah. RTD is going in and selling the BBC on. Well, I, I think it probably is, just because from a pure franchise perspective, it makes sense. Mm. And he kind of did it already. Like that's when Doctor Who was kind of becoming the Hooniverse with Sarah Jane and Torchwood and yeah. all these other sort of spin-off type things at the time and they had some momentum and but a bunch of those projects just ended up petering out, obviously. Yeah, with, without Jane. him. Yeah. He he was definitely the energy that, that kept those projects going. I don't know if he has that same energy these days. You would think so from Instagram, the fact that he's literally replying mm. to everyone. Um <laughs> at some point it's gonna become like a George R. R. Martin problem here, where it's like, hey, hey Russell, go write the show. Stop talking to us on Instagram. Um <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, he really does. So TikTok's good. We got a we got our comment of the week. We got a comment of the week. So yeah, back to TikTok. So um, we've blown past five thousand. Next stop, ten thousand. Keep them coming, guys. Keep the mm-hmm. shares and the follows coming. But uh, here's a TikTok comment of the week. So one of the, the surprisingly popular videos this week. There's almost one I didn't do. It's funny. Like it was a holdover from when we did Smile, and I'd cut mm-hmm. the audio and I didn't throw together the video. But I was like, oh okay, well I got this one. And it ended up really blowing up. And I, 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 well, I'll tell you what the video is. It's the one about when uh, I was describing how this show, this particular episode was very difficult to pin down in terms of when it happens. Because in Doctor Who's future history, they talk about colonies and then the end of the human race and people fleeing the earth. And all of this is sort of wrapped up in this episode. So it becomes very weird and ambiguous. Like, is this early space Mm. colonizing or is this really, really late? Or is it like the earth is gone late? Like, And so I really like that this video took off because... It signals to me like I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, there's also, a lot of debate around that, especially also, among Hoovians. I think people like to to think about this stuff. You know, mm. we, this is a big sort of uh, uh, strength of the show for me. Even though obviously production teams come and go, the we're creating consistent continuity is near impossible with Doctor Who. Yep. but we should still care. You know, we should still try and sort of. And I think as fans, it's our responsibility, and this is where our head comes in to sort of go with what they're doing and try to try to plausibly figure out 
how this could work. And yeah. I really As like if we the were in the writer's room ourselves. We we really are the writer's room, the the after show writer's room. Yeah. <laughs> where we try and pull this all together. And uh yeah, this is what the fandom loves to do. Um and so, yeah, the, that smile video was 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 huge and there was a lot of debate on it. Yes, very much. And there was a lot of people uh going in with their theories. And so um, the one that I think really stood out, because it actually makes a ton of sense to me, mm -hmm. was one from a TikTok user named Lewis Holman 997 And it reads, could it be one of the first colonies sent out, but it went so far and was in hibernation for so long that it's one of the last ones left? Yes. I like that. Uh We've we've been somewhere in our history that 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 is relevant to, uh, which is the sensorites. Mm. You remember that where uh, the the uh, one of the few William Hartnell stories we've done so far, where Ian and Barbara and Susan and the Doctor uh, appear on this space vessel, and they just sort of assume that are you well are you from the twenty first century because you must be a colony ship that was going so slow that we overtook you. They're from a later right. century. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's I love that idea, and I think it's been it's been used to great effect in science fiction. And uh, Doctor yeah, Doctor like, hasn't really mentioned it that much. No, no, I like I like the idea of yeah, um, centuries or even millennia long uh, journeys, and mm. the uh, it just gives me Red Dwarf vibes, which I really like because Red Dwarf obviously it's a comedy show, but it also like the sci fi. They really understand the scale aspect of sci-fi, which is to say scale up an idea times a million or times a billion. And what does that turn into? And they kind of, that's the whole premise of the show in that mm. uh, what, what this person described is the whole premise of the show that what if, what if, if uh, this stasis chamber, this hibernation, you're just in for like so, so long that you, the earth is gone, you know, like, well, mm -hmm. what does that do? And it's like, I like, you know, but, Let's let's talk about it. Let's do a show about it. And Brilliant. this could be this smile could be one of those um, instances. It's one of the great things love we love it. about Doctor Who. Nearly sixty years old and still hasn't explored every sci-fi trope. So yeah, yep. Once again, we hope our TD is listening. <laughs> Those explored uh, a few, quite a few times, I will say. Um, but so not finally, on social media and online stuff, we should talk briefly about YouTube, which is uh, we're we're not fully uploaded there, but we've done all of. All of our season one, yeah, it was uh, a short all of our <laughs> pre-randomizer season, um, yeah. yeah, all five <laughs> episodes. So all the pre-randomizer episodes are there. I got to say, it's been uh, kind of humbling to go back and <laughs> see the early iterations of the podcast and see um, me in my Doctor Who bathrobe. <laughs> oh boy, oh, uh, I got to watch no. that. <laughs> no, it's good times. A uh, little low res at times. Um, and but it's all there and all the commentaries there and it's actually upgraded so we've mm. kind of upgraded the original listings in our podcast apps and um we put new new uh, uh closing the closing audio we use and all the stuff on on the uh the youtube videos so Fantastic. that's all available um, yeah. we're, speaking we're, of youtube we should mention for our youtube viewers that we are that they can see that we're we're dressed appropriately for this mm. episode Pete has a cyberman t-shirt and uh, because this is it's fantastic, look at that planet Mondas, uh, Cyberman within a uh, hoodie. There's a Time Lord hoodie, yeah. Union Jack. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
Oh, you have totally outdoctored me this week. You got, you, got, <laughs> you got a Cyberman in the background with his eyes shining. Guys, go check it out on on YouTube when you get a chance. This is uh, we're, we're getting into the special effects here. That special effect alone is better than everything in uh, Attack of the Cyberman. Uh, so uh, well yeah. done for that, Pete. It's Meanwhile, funny, like, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say. Meanwhile, I'm I'm wearing my John Nathan Turner shirt. Uh, which is not what I called it, but it's what Peter Capaldi called it uh, when when I was interviewing him at Comic Con once. I said that I was cos- cosplaying as JNT, and he pointed to the shirt. And he was like, "Yeah, I yeah, really like that JNT shirt." So that was f- so. I will always wear this and think of Peter Capaldi, uh, the randomizer's favorite Doctor. But I will also think of uh, the late lamented JNT, whose uh, vision of Doctor Who we'll be discussing this week. Yeah. In Attack of the Cyberman, but yeah, you you got stuff around your room. You got cyber. You got a screwdriver there. You got a Cyberman. Yeah. I, got, I always got. I always love to little, 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 leave little Easter eggs for our um, yeah. YouTube audience. But what I'm most proud of and really wanted to put in here is this, which I'll I'll just say right now is not the gift for the reviewer because I will never part with this. This right here book is Cyberman by David Banks, who plays the Cyber Leader in the episode we're about to discuss and many others in the JNT mm. era, and. Uh, it is a sort of a coveted possession for people who are um, fans of the show and the Cybermen in the 80s. Um, it's a great book. It's got a lot of little original illustrations and was clearly like a labor of love. And uh, it's it's definitely one of my most treasured Doctor Who possessions. So I wanted to get that here. Prominent for our discussion of this week's episode, of course, Attack of the Cybermen. And there's there's no more uh, vamping to be done. It is It is time for that introductory <laughs> segment that we do every week oh when we talk about the previous uh the show that we've watched and one of us has to summarize it in uh one minute per basically per 45 50 minute episode and because attack of the Cyberman is uh from this only season where they did 45 minute episodes in the old show uh, of course, became the default format for the new show. That means that we're going according to new show new show rules, which means that Pete, you have a whole two minutes. Yes, it is me who has a whole two minutes. <laughs> yes, it is you. As I, yeah. I woke up with a, in a cold sweat this morning in fear that I had to summarize this, but no, I did State of Decay. Therefore, it is your turn. And uh, I, my only job is to start my stopwatch app on my phone. Hold on, hold um, on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let me let me crack my neck <laughs> yep. here, stretch it a bit. Okay, yep. I've, got a, I've, I've closed all my windows. Everything's. Yeah, notice your your screen went dark. You became bathed in red, which is, I'm now, which is yep. a nice that's my, quiz show feel. It's <laughs> <laughs> my that's my just my desktop background. Okay, I've was a, I was actually like uh, strangely like I was excited to talk about this episode that I honestly forgot I was doing this. And <laughs> I, I think I thought about it once earlier this week and then I forgot about it. And I really didn't realize until like we were doing the pre-show and we were talking about it. So now I'm like, I feel like, well, I, I know this episode. I'm going to easily do it. Now I'm like, like, oh no, wait, that's overconfidence kills you every time. Because if you that's know what too we much, found. you yeah. do too much, you completely, completely fall on your face. So as always, I'm going to figure it out. Um, and... Okay. Yeah, exactly. You're just going to do it on the fly. It's yep. okay. There's not not a whole lot of plot. I I feel confident that you can do this. Okay. And uh, yeah, so Attack the Cyberman, TLDW, Too Long Doctor Who, Too Long Didn't Watch. Uh, you are to summarize Attack of the Cyberman in two minutes starting now. 
Okay, so the Doctor and Perry are on the TARDIS. The Doctor's repairing the chameleon circuit for no real reason at all. Uh, and uh, I'll be on Earth. We pick up where we left off with Lytton, who is still there from the end of Resurrection of the Daleks. He's trying to rob a bank, but he's not really doing that. He's luring people into the sewers, that telling them it's under the bank, but it's not. He's actually there to make contact with the Cybermen, who are d d plotting in the sewers of London. And he, d d his gang gets killed or converted by them, except for one guy named Griffiths, uh, Russell, who's the cop, I guess, you know, he doesn't, he, he dies later. Uh, but, oh no. Uh, so they, um, the doctor and Perry come in the, the TARDIS, uh, and are investigating where this transmission's coming from. It turns out, uh, they, they find the Cybermen in the sewers too. And the Cybermen actually lay a trap for the doctor in his own TARDIS and they grab him, uh, and are about to kill him, but he convinces them not to. And then they take them ever them Lytton and, uh, Dr. And Perry to tell us where actually it's tell us in the future because the Cybermen have been time traveling. They haven't invented time travel because they have a time vessel that they stole. So they go to tell us the doctor. Everyone escapes except for the Doctor, who's thrown in a prison with the, one of the Cryons, who are the original natives of Telos, who are still, some of them are still there resisting the Cybermen. But the Cyber Controller, who's from the original Tomb of the Cybermen, he's still there. Uh, they're, they're plotting to prevent Mondas from being destroyed by slamming Halley's Comet into the Earth in 1985. So what they all have to do, Lytton, who's trying to work for the Cryons, tries to steal the time vessel, but uh, they all die. Uh, Lytton gets tortured. Uh, but the, what they do is they figure out a plot but to to uh, heat up all this cold explosives to blow up all the Cybermen. So the Doctor uh, helps the Cryons do that and uh, can't save Lytton, but uh, regrets misjudging him and runs off with Perry while Cyber Control blows up, destroying all the Cybermen and holding their plot. time. Wow. Big oh. applause. Congratulations. <laughs> you did it. You did it on the nose. Oh, man. Uh, you you Not did it. There. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was no, uh, halfway through episode one, and it was just like, oh my god, I'm still talking about well, the sewers. Actually, hit at the exact one minute mark. You hit the cliffhanger at the end of episode one, where the Cybermen oh, invade nice. the TARDIS. So you are you are right on track. Um, obviously not thinking about it beforehand is the way to go Yeah, with this. Just be cool. spontaneous. You, you almost, you, you were lured into a briar patch here and there with the, for some reason, and the discussion of the Cybermen discovering time travel, which was totally unnecessary for this episode. And it's, right. it's so easy to not, that's, that's the, the real danger with TLDWs get sucked down these rabbit holes, uh, mm. thing that we're going to talk about in the rest of the show. Um, yeah, but you did it. You did it uh, in two minutes. Now, Congratulations. I didn't even have to go back in time and <laughs> change what I did. Yes. Um, but there's yeah. a lot. There's there's a bit, a lot of, I you know, talked about the most extraneous thing right off the bat, which was the chameleon circuit thing. Yeah. Um, which I, I could have come back to in that it breaks again <laughs> at it the end. It breaks again for no reason, yep. just after it was restored for no reason. Um. Now this want? was want to start there. What do we? What yeah, do we let's start with? with Chameleon Circuit because that's what JNT wanted everyone yeah. to know about this story, right? He, it was the start of a new season. He was uh, goosing up the ratings mm -hmm. with some stunt casting, which is some completely squandered stunt casting, which we'll get to. Um, uh, an attempt at stunt casting, and he wanted everyone to freak out about the notion that the TARDIS would repair its Chameleon Circuit, right? Um, which was say, good marketing, <laughs> good marketing, and not a bad idea because yeah. it was in Legopolis as well, which is 
one of right. one of my you know long time and alert listeners may know that's one of my favorite Doctor Who stories. Uh, I just the, love the funereal end of the the fourth Doctor's reign. But he tries to, I can't even remember what is it. He tries to convert the TARDIS into a pyramid. At one point, he thinks, yeah, he's he's or he's like using an example of the, it could yeah, transform into a pyramid. Yeah. Um, well, it's weird because Legopolis. This sort of contradicts Legopolis, but I'm totally okay with that. Which is that Legopolis. It, it sounds interesting, but it's so weird that he has to measure a, 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 another police box to yes. fix it. Like, it would, it's kind of interesting, but also makes no sense at all if you think about it. Like, why do you have to measure a thing that probably isn't even the dimensions of your own TARDIS? Mm. Um, it, it's just bizarre. And uh, you can kind of make up your own reasons. So here, it's much more straightforward. It's just like, oh, it's just a repair job he hasn't done. <laughs> exactly. He just hasn't gotten around to it. It's been on this to-do list for weekend after weekend. And every Saturday morning, he's like, right, this is the day that I fix the chameleon circuit. And every Sunday night, he's like, wait a minute, wasn't I going to do something with the chameleon circuit? Um, but yeah. we also, in him fixing it, we get the answer to what are the round things for? <laughs> uh, which apparently by by his 10th regeneration, he has no memory. Right. Uh, of of what they're for, as we find out in Day of the Doctor, I just love yeah, the service things. panels. Yeah, the service panels, and yeah. and the chameleon circuit is in one of them, and it yeah. was right there all along. He could have fixed it any time he wanted. Um, but then the show. So, what does the TARDIS turn into? It turns into a dresser, first <laughs> yeah, of all, and then it turns into an organ, right? And, and uh, a cabinet or something. I guess. It, it, well, the cabinet's first. It's like an armoire, dresser, yeah. cabinet, whatever it is. It's like barely. It's ridiculous because they have to go around the back to get into it. And there's no, right. like they would have had to stoop to get, you know, the dark the tours would be a different size. It, you know, a bit like a flatline, uh, which sort of mm. kind of explored this concept of a tiny TARDIS. It's what it would have to be, but it's just so obvious they're just going around the back of it, and there's no actual physical way into this armoire. They yeah. really could have chosen a better object. Totally. Um, well, I, I, again, I'm not against them fixing the chameleon circuit, yeah. at least for a while. Like, but do something with it. You know, it actually like doesn't even. It's just yeah. a quirky thing in the episode, and I, I honestly, this is like. You know, they're trying to do a lot, I guess. And also it's Colin Baker's first season, so you don't want to cram too much in. But I would like, it's got my imagination going. Like, why not do a season where it, it's fixed throughout the season? And you could, yeah, I, you yeah. Could come around and break it again. But I mean, like, do, do some stuff with this if you're going to do it. I love the idea. We should, just to close that loop, we, uh, we see the third iteration of the TARDIS chameleon circuit when it arrives on uh, Telos, uh, where it becomes a door arch. Kind of this large metallic door arch. Uh, oh right, that's what I meant by armoire. That's the, yeah, the, yeah. That's yeah. so. That's more more of it. But it's confusing, right? You don't even see it. You yeah. barely see them come out of it. It's just sort of like if if you're going to do this thing, even as a stunt for the opening story of the season, just just do it better. Choose more interesting yeah. things that they come out and, and things that are actually the right size. I know it can be anything, but like it would just be comical if Time Lords traveled around in a matchbox. <laughs> and uh, again, we're getting back to Flatline, this whole notion of the tiny TARDIS uh, looking unintentionally funny. But but yeah, just, just do, do something a little more with it. And we've never really seen what TARDISes are supposed to, other than the Master's TARDIS, which right. we have seen as a grandfather clock 
Uh, what else? As a police box, like, a, like the dark column, police box, like a Roman a column. column. Yeah, it was like for a long time in the Ainley era, wasn't it? It was just this this same column that they borrowed from the historical drama props. Do, do we ever actually see the Master Stardust in the New Who at all? Like, do we even no. like, actually visibly see it? We see it. It's like referenced, I think, in the Doctor Falls. Yeah, and um, in some of the Woody Kerr episodes, but I don't think we right. see do we see yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I, can't I don't now. think we see it. We might see uh, sort of an original style TARDIS, basically looks like an elevator. You know, mm-hmm. when they don't have the chameleon circuit on. But yeah, I would love to see sixty years into the show. We haven't seen what this thing is supposed to function like. And I've often thought of like, mm-hmm. are there science the fiction stories? Circuit. Yeah, yeah, the chameleon yeah. circuit. How is it supposed to function? Uh, you know, other stories, like I, I can imagine that it, it works with the time laws, right? They're supposed to travel mm. throughout time, uh, not interfere. So this is the not interfering part. So it's just supposed to blend in with the scenery and get to whether or not people are supposed to be distracted by it or whether there's that that other thing introduced in you that makes the, the perception filter that makes them look away. Right. Um but what what's it you know, did it did it did they just sort of have it as family homes? You know, mm. is it like, oh, wait a minute, there's an extra home on the hill there. Yeah. God, well, the, gosh, the, the building's see, coming up fast in this area. You got to see a little bit of it with the Master's TARDIS in the Pertui era. It's yeah. like the horse box. Do you remember that in Terra of the Odden? Oh yes, and yeah. So that's a good sized TARDIS. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they, there's definitely been in fiction, in some of the books and stuff, uh, allusions, made, like uh, descriptions of the TARDIS as being really big, like like mm. massive, whether they're planet-sized or whatever, like that TARDISes do have that capability. I mm-hmm. mean, they're you know sort of infinite in a certain way, so why not? But the one time I think they that was pretty interesting was the Keeper of Traken, and we haven't done mm-hmm. that one, so I don't want to get too far into it, but... I like the idea of it not just being uh, camouflage, but also a potential Trojan horse. Yeah, you know? so that's kind of neat. Is that where it turns into the column? Because it is the grandfather clock, I think, at the start. That was deadly assassin. No, actually, I think and it turns the... into a clock again at the end of Keeper of Track, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And the but the fact that it's the statue throughout most of the episodes, the it's the Melker statue. Um, nice. Bryce. Is, uh, is a it, it's really like you know it also kind of keeps you guessing on exactly what it is and who who the villain is um so that's good i don't want to get too far into that one but yeah we'll like the alien circuit with the for the doctor though i mean <laughs> i don't know i don't want to spend too much time on this there's a lot to talk about but it's like there is it, the, going back to whitaker and like the, the even his her previous regenerations had a tardis in a police box <laughs> like it's been a police box for a long time yeah um surely it's uh, come on there must have been some point where it was something i i don't know i, I guess they never really fully explained that because we know that william hartnell stole the tardis so is it yes yeah it's weird uh so we yeah we uh we do of course see it uh on transalore in its supposedly right. final form when it's vastly expanded the outside is leaking uh the inside is leaking out uh right. dimensionally so maybe seeing that the doctor's like well guess it you know it's sort of supposed to be a police box now right, right? that's sort of like that's a no confirmation of the TARDIS's future yeah it looks like a police box so yeah don't don't uh, fuss with the depends, yeah if you want to believe that that 
is still his future or if that was mm. just sort of erased because Matt Smith reversed everything. We uh, have, anyway. of course, seen the diner, the American diner, me, mm. Stardust. Uh, me and Clara are zooming around the universe, and that's still, so far as we know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe show us some more, some even more, uh, you know, uh, TARDIS-like housing that Time Lords are zipping around in. Let's, let's see them actually in action as they were intended to be used. Yeah, let's do it. So how did you like the 45-minute format? Like, the, we had one cliffhanger here. Yeah. How do you like and- that? And the cliffhanger was was pretty good. It's Cyberman and the TARDIS, which, by the way, just before we stop talking about the TARDIS, it's what's the deal with like the state of grace? Is that what it's called? Where you, you're not supposed to have um, weapons within the TARDIS, as yeah. they clearly do here. And it's probably the the biggest firefight within the TARDIS in uh, in Doctor Who history oh, since Earth, right? Earthshock, certainly. Since um, Earthshock. Oh, they're in Cybermen. Earthshock. It's always the Cybermen. Uh, but Chris, let me ask you. What's yes. rule one? <laughs> the doctor lies. <laughs> so. I think it's been pretty established this temporal grace crap is crap. You know, like there's <laughs> okay. just too much violence going on in the TARDIS. Um, I don't know. Have they ever shown it working? Have they ever shown like I'm doing a thing to someone else in the TARDIS and it doesn't work because of this feature? What did that come from? Was it? Uh, I think it was the Hand of Fear. It's Hand El- of Fear. Okay. Basically, the doctor stands up to Eldrad. Uh, and in the, in the TARDIS, like you can't do anything now. We're in a state mm. of temporal grace. Um, and if if it doesn't exist, that's pretty ballsy, Doctor. I mean, like, <laughs> but I gotta say, like you gotta sometimes do that, right? Like you gotta yeah. like gamble and like you know really bluff hard. Um, and it's uh, I forget exactly. I, I'm pretty sure they don't show it actually working, to my to my knowledge. That that right. it, it, he's basically Eldrad is cowed into not doing anything, but. Um, they they don't actually show Eldrad doing something and then it not not working. Uh, in in books and stuff, they've they've said it works, but those aren't really canon. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's something that just that you turn it on and off. That's that joke's <laughs> <laughs> like it's on the fritz. You got to call Gallifrey Tech Support and they're not around. It could be like the chameleon circuit. The chameleon circuit's busted. The state of temporal grace is busted. Uh, yeah, yeah, he'll get around to fixing it. Anyway. But I, I was more curious about how how did the Cybermen even get in there? Did he, just, yeah. did he forget to lock the door? <laughs> that, that does seem so. The Doctor is extraordinarily careless uh-huh. in in this, and I guess you could blame it on his regeneration if you must. But it just looks like a, a lot of Attack of the Cybermen. It's just sloppy writing. There's that one point where he has the sonic lance, right. which we which we can talk about. This is it's <laughs> not a sonic screwdriver. It's a sonic lance, and it appears to be sonic lance specifically so he can leave it embedded in the body of a Cyberman in the sewers. And then Lytton picks it up later on and is like, oh, yeah, I knew it was you, Doctor. You left your sonic lance here. And the Doctor's like, hmm? You know. Yeah, it's definitely like a cheat, right? Because it's almost surprising it's a cheat that came from JNT because he's the one who was like, we're getting rid of this sonic screwdriver because it makes things too easy. Well, we see the other, the the downside of that here in that, well, when you have formidable opponents like the Cybermen, how do you believably off them by the end of the episode when and have, you know, good high stakes uh, action moments? With if your heroes don't have anything, and so giving him sort of a, a proxy for the sonic screwdriver for mm-hmm. an episode, like I, I get it from a script editing standpoint, and it kind of follows the 
you know, fixing the thing, the chameleon circuit in the first couple of scenes. So it's like, all right, fair enough. You know, you, you, you contorted yourself well enough here that I'm just going to go right. with it. Well, okay. So to, to your point of how the Cybermen get in the TARDIS, um, we, we've seen uh, and been to the silence in the library slash forest of the dead, where we discuss the fact that, well, how does it, the TARDIS suddenly open with a click of the doctor's fingers at the end of right. it? Or maybe river made it retroactive. So it's always been that way. <laughs> so maybe these Cybermen got into the TARDIS just by clicking. <laughs> I don't, you know, in terms of abilities that the Cybermen lost by being converted, I think <laughs> the snapping <laughs> of the fingers is probably one of them. That said, I'm sure they could, from an audio standpoint, maybe replicate the sound. Yeah, exactly. It's just insert this in the special edition of Attack of the Cybermen, which I'm sure they're very keen to do. Um, mm. And just, yeah, solve solve that plot hole that the Cybermen can get into the TARDIS by clicking, and Doctor has no idea how this happened. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, speaking of that scene, I mean, it's, it's not the most violent scene, but it is pretty indicative of the, uh, well, I, I wouldn't say extreme violence, but common violence in this episode. Yes. This is probably one of the most violent episodes of Doctor Who ever made. Supposedly. And, yeah. yeah well, I, think, I would say it, it, it qualifies just by the sheer body count. Like I actually, I, I would, I should have thought of this before we sat down. I should have done a Cyberman body count because there's a yes. lot of cybermen getting off there's a lot of humans getting killed or converted um and we should talk about the conversion and all that in a bit but just from a, the, the violence is honestly what this episode is one of the things it's really known for uh not in a good way well there's uh, a lot of green blood spraying when the cyber right. leader is killed um there is a moment where the, the cybermen are, i guess they're supposed to have crushed Lytton's hands but it's like you cut away and you come back and his hands are covered in well, blood. That's, that's the big one. That's that's huge. That That yeah. is the, probably the most violent. Like, I mean, Doctor Who very, very rarely shows actual blood. And yeah. this was that moment. I'll say this. Like, I sat down with my whole family to watch this. So my two kids and my wife. Hmm. And, you know, they, they, my wife commented a little bit on all, a lot of the violence and also the doctor carrying guns. And so the, we, we were kind of noting it. And I wasn't bringing it up, even though I sort of knew the background of this episode, but it sort of naturally came up how violent it was. But when that shot happens, when there, you see the Cybermen grab their hands and then you, it, there's, a, there's a close-up on uh, Morris Colburn's face. And mm. he's, he's struggling, clearly. But then the, there's a sudden cut to the wider shot again. And you see his hands all bloody. Everyone in the room was like, <gasps> like yeah. it, it was, it was like a, it, it was a moment. Like it was like, holy cow. Like I was not like expecting that. <laughs> you know, like, and, and then he, he lets out a good scream. I mean, that's good acting on, on Morris Carlin's part. Like he, you really believe he's being tortured. And uh, I think it's honestly like, I, I like it like as a, like, a realistic depiction of violence and mm. and what these creatures are capable of. I like upping the terror factor of the Cybermen. I love them yeah. as villains and monsters, and that definitely does it. But I can also see people looking at that like, oh, is that really what you want to be doing in this show for kids, ostensibly? Yeah. Well, that's a, it's a fair criticism. It's interesting that you had this reaction uh, because I I looked at that as sort of, I almost found it faintly hilarious. <laughs> because, because it's a jump cut, right? Because you don't see like the like, blood yeah. leaking out. You don't see the actual 
moment where his hands get bloody. It's just sort of cut away and come back and like, oh, my hands are covered in paint now. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> uh, he does give out a good scream. I, I don't know. Yeah. I I felt so bad for Morris Colburn uh, in this story and all of the other fine actors who are in it, like Brian Glover, who was all over. He was the Yorkshireman. He's Griffiths. He's a yeah. Yorkshireman who was all over, like all over British TV uh, in the 80s. And he was also the voice of uh, a kind of bread, which uh, <laughs> they, their marketing slogan is all anyone can remember from that. And nobody remember that it's the name of the bread. It was in the 80s when people were big into brown bread as an alternative to white bread. <laughs> uh, so uh, Brian Glover did this ad for bread with now taken out. <laughs> um, is it on YouTube somewhere? We got a link to that. Oh yeah, we should we should we should definitely dig that up. That's I'm awesome. sure it's on YouTube. It is immortal bread. Uh, to translate for Americans, bread with nothing removed, bread with now taken uh, out. Very well. Um, as in healthier, quote unquote. Um, but yeah, I, I just sort of spent a lot of this episode thinking, oh god, these these guys are they fine actors. You know, Morris Colburn would go on to have his own show on yeah. the BBC Howard's called Way. Howard's Way. And oh, that that went international. Did that one? No, <laughs> <laughs> I just know it. You just know. Okay, so it's a story of a, a shipbuilder, yeah, and he's trying I don't to know. rebel against sure on PBS. I'm sure it was on PBS. Honestly, I've only ever seen like the first or five, or last five minutes of it. As true is true with a lot of things on the BBC. You you watch it when you're waiting to tune in for something else, or <laughs> because you can't find the remote. Um, and how it's very one of those. But he was a fine actor, and he, he yeah. was the lead in that show, and he became famous for it. And and here he is playing a role that makes very little sense. We'll get to we'll get to Lytton's character yeah. and what the hell he's doing here uh, shortly. But and and so I just I felt so bad for him. Some of the lines he had to come out with, some of the lines that they all had to come out with, mm. pretty bad. So by that point, I was like, you know, well, yes, he is definitely. Uh, you know, giving giving it all with that scream, but like yeah. I was just so embarrassed for him at that. But maybe it just didn't affect me as deeply. The the jump cut thing sort of seemed vaguely hilarious. So, yeah, I was expecting more, knowing that this is sort of the era of Doctor Who, where they're like, "Oh, Caves of Androzani was a hit." Right. Uh, obviously, we need to go more violent and darker. It was like grim well, dark. That's what they were trying to do, which is an interesting yeah. contrast to some of the stuff we've been. Uh, not too long ago, like the era of um, Image of Vandal, and which was sort of mm. the last gasp of that sort of dark, more violent Tom Baker era, um, with um, I think Hinchcliffe and was I forget uh, Barry Letts or no Graham Williams, sorry. And um, then they went lighter, right, with Key to Time mm. and K Nine and everything that sort of followed. Right. And this is it coming back around, and I guess a lot of it had to do with the influence of Eric Sayward, who right. was more of a a proponent of not necessarily lots of violence, but like, let's, if things are going to be violent, let's not shy away from it, which I would tend to agree with, honestly. Right. Eric Sayward, who may or may not have written Attack of the Cybermen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it's in the name of his ex girlfriend. Yeah. Right. So, uh, an alias for her, I guess. Okay. An so the writer is um, Paula Moore, who is credited on screen, but apparently mm -hmm. Paula Moore does not exist. Mm -hmm. And his ex or his girlfriend at the time. Was a girlfriend or ex? I don't even know. But it, I guess it was Paula Wolseley. Is that correct? I think so. Wolsey. Yes. Yeah. Wolsey. But apparently um, there was a, a 
person who was a fan of Doctor Who worked for the show, who was <laughs> probably yeah. pretty easily today, which is someone who had encyclopedic knowledge of the show and was sort of the continuity advisor. Right. Ian Levine was, right. was this guy's name. Yep. And I'm told he was, and his contribution is debated, right? So he says he contrib- contributed a lot, the story, lots of the plot, uh, maybe even a little bit of dialogue. And Eric Sayward sort of filled it in, as, but Sayward predictably is like, well, no, he suggested a few things and I went with it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, who's, who's telling the truth? I don't know. I, I'm sure it's somewhere in the middle, but um, it, the main thing I feel like is pretty, I, I completely believe is that Eric Sayward wrote this. Yes. Because it feels like an Eric Sayward show. And uh, Except with even clunkier dialogue. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not there's some there's some dialogue disasters certainly, um, and uh, I, I certainly believe that he wrote it mostly, and I guess it was because because he was script editor at the time, right. they didn't like that you could commission yourself essentially to write a script, mm-hmm. so he just and made it Pip up. Pip and Jane Baker, who wrote for the show, were actually on the the board of the the writers' union uh, that would have. Uh, Dinged Sayward, so he uh, mm. he 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 knew his who his accusers would be if he ever actually did that. But also, I wouldn't want to put my name on this uh, either. It would, <laughs> it's you know, in in America, you'd you'd make this an Alan Smithy episode, right? You know, the, mm. the, the synonym for directors who want their names taken off. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, just, I, oh, I I, I actually I came away liking it probably more than I expected to, and it's certainly not mm. the best episode. It's not the best Cyberman episode. Um, what what I think, um, well, I'll get to it in a second. I just want to sort of close mm. the book on the violence here. So, yep. the violence is is I think when the Cybermen like here's my here's my rule of thumb on this episode. When the Cybermen are doing it, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> when the Doctor's doing it, not so much, and so. The doctor, the doctor is, gets handy with a blaster here, doesn't he? Yeah, he's a gun toting, and it's again, it's not the first time we've seen the doctor handle guns here and there. Um, but he's doing it a little more readily, and I wouldn't say with glee, but that bit where and he and Perry all have Russell at their mercy, and he's kind of telling Perry to shoot him, even though we know he doesn't mean it. Uh, there's a bit of uneasiness there. Um, right. and Russell is the the uh, the policeman. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, yeah. he's the policeman who has infiltrated Lytton's gang. A lot of layers to this, yeah. and, and so he, he's a cop. Um, and he he's obviously suspected the Doctor and Perry because they're there, and they turn the tables on him and get his gun and have him in the sewers at their mercy. And the doctor says, yeah, uh, I'm tired of this. Shoot him, Perry. And Perry's like, what, for real? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, shoot Why? him. I mean, I guess that's supposed to... So, so this this is a good segue to talk about Colin Baker again, as we right. did with um, with uh, Trial of Time Lord, The Mysterious Planet. It was our first... Paul Torpin's first uh, visit with the uh, troublesome sixth doctor. And uh, he... I think I identified watching this what the what the issue what my issue with Colin Baker is. I mean, first of all, I, I sort of have a a beef because uh, I I was a kid when I was watching this, and uh, you know Tom Baker was my first Doctor, Davison was my second, and then I had such high hopes for Colin Baker to take this. Baker. Well, yeah, and and also he just sort of seemed like a nice melange of the last two Doctors put together. Mm. But what becomes clear rewatching this decades later 
is that he is just, I, I'm sure that, well, I know having interviewed him, Colin Baker himself is a lovely, charming man. His doctor is not charming. No. He is in fact the, possibly the only doctor who doesn't have charm to him. And that is very clear in this story. He's cold, he's aloof, he's alien. He's randomly ordering Perry to shoot people. Barely pays any attention to Perry. You know, she's just sort of in the way. I definitely don't believe it when he threatens to blow up the TARDIS to save Perry's life. He's just... The cloister bell doesn't even ring. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So that definitely seems like a rule number one moment there. Um, You know, the Doctor saves Perry's life by... I need to blow up the Cybermen in in nineteen seconds, um, but yeah, he just he's he's charmless, and they, they sort of seem to have, have uh, just sort of thought that that aspect of the Doctor would be be taken care of by his costume. Look, he's you know he's dressed as a clown, and he's got this cute little right. cat pin, and you know he's always rubbing the cat pin, and you know, but he just in the in their efforts to make him an eighties hero, I think they they lost something very important about the character. And that's yeah. very much on display here. Well, and it's too bad, like, like this is kind of his first proper episode in a sense, because mm-hmm. he was the twin dilemma was sort of tacked on at the end of the last season. And he's very kind of unstable. And you definitely see like a lot of the very deliberate choices Colin Baker made in, mm-hmm. in Embryo there, where he's unlikable, alien, everything you described, and he's he's clearly going with it here. Um and again, I I it's kind of a shame in some ways that Colin Baker's run was cut short because uh, apparently this was a multi-year plan to get him to soften up. I I think yeah. whenever you're in TV and you're thinking about a multi-year plan, you got to be like, I mean, they're, they're good. They can be good. It's just, you got to be pretty cautious, man. That's you're, you're putting a lot of, lot of uh, eggs in a basket that may not ever get delivered. So, I mean, the similarities um, to the modern era is basically what they tried with Capaldi. Yes. Right, and well, I feel like uh, Capaldi, it wasn't as deliberate though. I feel like they rebooted him because of it was it wasn't quite working. I don't know if that was well. They kind of did it for the first season, right? right. I think uh, Moffat's whole idea for Capaldi's first season was let's make him unlikable just for one season. Yeah, you know, very much in the style of this, this master okay. plan that you're talking about. Perhaps the Cartmel master plan as well. Uh, and this whole thing it was leading up to his realization of I'm just a madman in a box. But it's still, Peter Capaldi, he got he got the charm in there. He's smiling a lot. He's doing the mad eyes. Uh, he's fighting with a spoon. You know, it just, <laughs> you, you, you like him as a figure. And, and he's anti-military. So even though he's a slightly grim, dark doctor, the one thing he doesn't do is pick up a gun. Yeah, he's not. He's not the war doctor. He's not the war doctor, and even the war doctor had charm, right? He was even in his most genocidal moment. He was lovely, creaky old John Hurt. Yeah, um, I suppose. So, if if you're going to play with the dark doctor, you have to almost up the charm factors so that we don't we don't just sort of lose our desire to follow. It. Well, and I will say that the story doesn't serve um, him well in trying to win us over. There's like a few bits. I mean, particularly the end. So when he realizes he's kind of misjudged Lytton uh, and sort of goes back for him, I suppose we're supposed to be rooting for him and sympathizing with the doctor. But this uh, story and this doctor has never done that. You know, he's, we've never empathized with him at all up until this point. So why, like, it, it just the whole, I guess, moral dilemma or, or outcome of that, you just you kind of don't care. Like, yeah. okay, you misjudge Lytton and you feel bad about it for a minute and 
Up it is. Go. It's it's also super weird that they brought Lytton back. I mean, yes, great oh, actor. Weird. Great ex- great excuse to bring it back. But he. So I haven't watched uh, Resurrection of the Daleks in in a long time, at least. Right. But my uh, understanding from reading discussions and reviews of Attack of the Cybermen, the Doctor and Lytton don't actually interact. Right. At yeah. All. So that 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 is an issue. So bringing Lytton back, I liked because it is so clear at the end of the Resurrection of the Daleks that that this is you know it's it's he's living to fight another day. There's there's a very explicit walk away with the cops, and now I'm this alien person in London in the eighties. Like it's strongly hinted he's coming back, and I find that interesting. I think it's like what's what's this guy going to do, and where's he going to crop up? And I did want to see what what happened, and so mm-hmm. this is cool. But you're 100 percent right. There's there's virtually no interaction between Lytton and the Doctor in Resurrection of the Daleks. Now they do see each other, they kind of meet each other a little bit, but they don't really have any dialogue together. Right. So it, it it is a strange thing where the Doctor's like. Um, they're they're talking like they had more interaction than they did, and this, again, this isn't just a classic Who's thing. Uh, you know, this happens a lot. I I, I remember a new Who when, um, in Journey's End, when Mickey and um, uh, what's his name, John Barrowman, uh, yeah, uh, Captain Jack, Jack. Yep, yep. They, they're kind of like old chums. Well, wait a minute, they met one time. <laughs> they didn't yeah. really like each other. So what what is that about? But hey, at least they met, right? Yeah. And then this is this is sort of weird. And it's weird because so much of this particular story is about uh doing doing canon continuity, right? right. It's sort of a sequel to Tomb of the Cybermen, which we'll get into. The sequel to uh, like four or five episodes. It's it's kind of nuts. Yeah, and I'm kind of glad that the one of those that we have actually been to is uh, the tenth planet. Right. Because part of the plot of this story is that they are they're trying to avert disaster when Mondas appears in 1986. They do in the Tenth Planet. And the only reason they're doing that is because 1986 is coming up. 1986 is when the Tenth Planet, filmed in 1966, was set at right. an Antarctic base in 1986. Now here we are in 1985, a year before Halley's Comet arrives. Halley's Comet shows up in the story, and and then. I guess they're like, oh, well, there must be millions of fans out there who are wondering what's going to happen in 1986 when Mondas appears as the 10th planet in our skies. <laughs> Everyone is on edge wondering what's going to happen. Well, no, we're not, because nobody th- even seen the 10th planet. Uh, you know, or, or Tomb of the Cybermen, for that matter. It's, it's so, one of those ideas, you know, as they say, good on paper. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it... it it sounds like a winner, you know what I mean? Let's yeah. let's go back into the original um, Cyberman episode, do something epic, and you know, have references to their home planet and all that. It sounds great, but it is like, well, the 1986, and we talked about this at the time. The 1986 depicted in the Tenth Planet has absolutely no resemblance <laughs> to the 1986 of contemporary, like the real 1986, which is where they apparently are. That it's it's a very like you kind of don't. It's, it's, we compared it, it, it to yeah. Doctor Strangelove at the time. It was a very, 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 very 60s style with a cigar-chomping American general. Um, Antarctic bases, Z-bombs, base. uh, the yeah. uh, Geneva-based World Space Organization. Um, it, 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 and again, even even the story by Doctor Who standards was 
very loose, like the energy sucking technology from the planet and the cybermen blow themselves up. I mean, yeah, again, so it, you're it drawing attention to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're trying to fit that, and you're doing all these things with cyber history, like you know, clean stuff up as a, as a continuity nerd, like in Levine might might want to do. But then you're you're throwing in Lytton, who didn't really even talk to the Doctor, and they're acting as if they had history. So on on the one hand, you're doing continuity that five people will notice, mm. you know, and then on the other hand, you're d- not really doing continuity for the people who saw the previous season, uh, right. which is just <laughs> and it's just it's the whole thing is kind of a mess that way, and supposedly the reason Attack of the Cybermen even exists. And the reason that it it uh, used Cybermen, uh, a lot of fans suggest it has to do with cynical marketing reasons because they just released, uh, I think, Tom Baker's second VHS, oh, uh, which was Revenge of the Cybermen. Gotcha. And they were also they doing to up sales. That- yes, they were also they'd also released an audio, uh, like an LP of Tomb of the Cybermen. So it made sense uh, to do this as a sort of a sequel. And uh, yeah, by, by this point, uh, Doctor Who's international sales and merchandising were making more money than the show itself cost. So they were, they were super focused on that yeah. and on uh, you know goosing sales of the Cybermen VHS. And it, it just sort yeah. of seems all like a cynical marketing ploy. Well, it's also like, I mean, the whole idea of sequels is... Mm. Um, is is has is fraught with uh, problems. I mean, it, it, it's it's another not really problems. It's more like it's a dangerous minefield, right? Because if you retread something, uh, you you still need something original. Also, you you as we just talked about with Tenth Planet, you if you're drawing attention to something everybody loved, and then suddenly your people start to realize maybe it wasn't that great in the first place, you know, like so. Mm. Cybermen in the sewers sounds great because we all remember the invasion and it was awesome. Right. Well. Not so good this time for many reasons, and actually, it's was it that good the first time? <laughs> you know, like in other <laughs> words, like do something more and better, and maybe reference things, but these direct kind of sequel ideas, uh, it's probably I would. We I, we do see this. It's know. it's interesting that that Doctor Who kind of uh, got to fan service early before anyone else mm. even knew what fan service was. Right, but that's pretty much what is going on here right and i should also mention you know this is one of the reasons i remember it remember watching this is because this is the first doctor who story that i recapped oh wow i actually wrote a recap of this in my diary wow you have that now (laughs) i i I do i could uh it's not going to be i could i could do you an excerpt uh it's I can. Uh, I mean, I could do a whole of episode one, Ooh, which is guys, like a page in my diary. On two to pull to open the original <laughs> recap. This is before recaps were were a thing. Yeah, before the before, before the internet was a thing. Yeah, it was uh, okay. January the fifth, <laughs> oh, Saturday, wow. January the fifth, nineteen eighty-five. Okay. Here is the first part of Attack of the Cybermen, the first Doctor Who story of nineteen eighty-five. I was, see, I was doing TLDW before. <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> let's, let's see if this lasts more than two minutes. Deep in the London sewers, two workmen are lost. They hear a noise and discover not a rat, but a Cyberman! Exclamation <laughs> mark. 
in the TARDIS, oh. after repairing the chameleon's chameleon circuit, I totally misspelled chameleon and circuit. Uh, <laughs> Did you misspell it in the Doctor Who way? Because that, that's okay. No, okay. I spell it C-U-R-C-I-T. Uh, the, <laughs> the Doctor and Perry are suddenly disturbed disturbed by a distress signal from Earth, 1985. They follow and land. Meanwhile, in that very place, Commander Lytton, quote, uh, parentheses, an ex-Dalek trooper who escaped when the Doctor last defeated the Daleks, is planning a jewel robbery with three people. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, oh yes the, they did they decide to get to uh it by something in the sewers it's this is i was trying out different penmanship styles here so something <laughs> wow confusing. packing a meanwhile, lot into this episode just as the writers did <laughs> meanwhile the doctor spelt with an e uh, has identified the same the the source of the signal to be the same place. Eventually, only one of Lytton's gang remains, the others having all dropped out along the way. Eventually, they are captured by the Cybermen and interrogated. <laughs> Cut to a prison camp on Telos, two mm. men gradually being turned to Cybermen, plan to escape in a time ship by killing a Cyberman and posing as one. Meanwhile, the Cyberman, convinced that Lytton is telling the truth about himself, take him, sick, and his companion uh, when they try to take over the TARDIS to find it is already occupied. The Doctor and Perry put up a brave struggle, but they are hopelessly outnumbered. Dot 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 dot. <laughs> nice. Oh wow. That's and if I go <laughs> and if I go to Episode two of Attack oh, wow. of the Supermen, January the twelfth, attack spelt with two Ks. Okay. <laughs> here's, here's all I have. It's it doesn't go for long. The TARDIS is under attack. To save his and Perry's life, the Doctor threatens to blow up the TARDIS. The Cybermen agree to let them live for the moment, and force the Doctor to set the coordinates for Telos. Explained the Doctor. Quote: Telos is the Cybermen's adopted planet, their home, and that's it. <laughs> I, I got so I bored by the doctor's explanation of Talos versus Mondas, I stopped writing the recap in uh, 1985. Yeah. So perhaps you can you can fill in the uh, blank for me here, Pete. Well, I you know I I, I don't want you to fall asleep uh, to your <laughs> microphone there, so I'll, I won't. But I will say I kind of like the quick recap in the TARDIS between them. By the way, Chris, thank you very much for, for mm. um, reading all that. That, that. that was awesome. That's amazing that you were um, doing recaps. Like <laughs> Welcome. Whenever that's we get to Vengeance on Varus, I can remind yeah. me and I'll do, I'll do that one. Yeah, that's amazing. We definitely got to get that in the show notes if we can. Um, <laughs> but I did like the recapping they were doing there in terms of bringing viewers up to speed on the deal, what the deal was with the Cybermen. And I actually like, I'm probably reading way too much into this, but I feel like Lytton and this is an issue with Lytton because you never know what side he's on and what's actually motivating him uh, to the point where you don't really care by the end. Um, but he kind of goes like, uh, after they describe the Cybermen invading Telos and killing the Cryons, uh, he says, well, they had nowhere else to go. Like he's kind of being almost like a Cyberman apologist for a minute. Mm. And I, I, I sort of found that interesting. Uh, again, it's just, the, the time we live in with the war in Ukraine and yeah. was a, 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 a commentators and you know you could go ahead and Google it whoever whoever saying it is like some people sympathizing with Russia or 
their whatever stated motivations they have for invading that country. Now, again, I don't mean any kind of equivalency here, just to throw clear a bit. Obviously, this is a silly TV show we're talking about. This is nothing mm. real world stuff. But I do kind of like, I, 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 I don't know. I felt like it, <laughs> there's a little bit of that sense of like, well, uh, which I didn't mind, you know, like portraying like, well, we can, let's talk about, the villains and what's motivating them without necessarily agreeing with them and supporting them, which I think, uh, I think is okay to do. Um, you, you could almost, I mean, and, and written a bit better, it might almost be an interesting critique on colonialism because hmm. basically they, they invade Telos because the cryons, which I keep reading as crayons every time <laughs> I see the word, the cryons, uh, uh, had these, uh, had to live in cryogenic tombs, uh, because they, they need super cold. So that's why they invade it. And that's why, you know, the, yeah. the answer to the question that literally nobody was asking of like, how did the Cybermen get, what is the origin of these cybernetic, uh, cryo tombs that we saw them in, in do the Cybermen? Uh, you know, but apparently there was an indigenous race. So that, that could be. It is interesting because the doctor says this thing like there's hundreds of inhabited planets everywhere all over the universe. Why didn't they just pick one of those? Well, it's because this one had the resources and the indigenous race had the resources and the indigenous race was pushed out to yeah. uh, make room for the conquering Cybermen. Yeah, so you could free, have free cryogenics. Yeah. And this could be a an interesting way for, for Britain to examine its own colonial history. But nope. <laughs> no, uh, the crayons. The crayons are there to die nobly yeah. in their cause. And... Yeah, and we can talk about the crayons uh, in a minute. Uh, well, mm. Let's talk about the crayons now. Let's this is bring yeah. on. Yeah, crayons so, don't get no respect, man. Yeah, they don't. And I, in my view, rightfully so. I think that's one of the things that just doesn't <laughs> work very well in this episode is the crayons. They're very unmemorable. Um, I, I did, did, you, like... did you get Sensorite vibes when they first came on, by the way? No, that was that was where I, I went to. I, I think I did. I just didn't. It couldn't put my finger on it. They're, they're, yeah. they're these kind of like... You see this. You do see this a lot in uh, Doctor Who at various times. You have an alien race that's you know looks weird, and they're in some kind of jumpsuit, and but they, moreover, they have the weird way that they move, and that is the thing that is the weirdest thing about the Cryons. Whether yeah, they're constantly like they're like they're Doctor Strange or something. They're flipping around <laughs> their their hands. Uh, they really really like showing off their fingernails. So yeah. I think they've all just been for many petties and they're all kind of like doing this. What what I think working and I don't mind is the that the Cybermen are men and we've talked about that before and the Cryons are mm. women. And mm. the, even though nothing's really made of that, like that uh, uh, the contrast is stark and that's okay. But the Cryons just look so ineffective and silly quite frankly. Uh, even up against these, you know, silver jumpsuited guys, which, uh, you know, they're already a Doctor Who monster. So, you know, but I think they're actually kind of effective and we can talk about the Cybermen themselves in a little bit. But the Cryons, man, uh, I'm sorry. They also, also yeah. they all look alike and they all sound alike. And again, in the Cybermen's case, that's defensible because that's the whole point. But the Cryons, I could like, they're like Flast and Rost or et cetera. Yes. <laughs> like, I don't know. Flast like, and Vaughn. In my mind, they're all interchangeable. And rest. Yeah, there's one. There's the the one that the doctor is in 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 uh, imprisoned with. She looks a little different. They never really say Blessed. why, uh, but that's the only sort of variation that I I could sort of discern. 
They like to zoom in on her eyes a lot, Flast. Yeah. Uh, she, she's the one who points out perhaps the most ridiculous aspect of the plot, which is that she and the Doctor have been locked in with basically a bunch of TNT <laughs> <laughs> in their cells. <laughs> and the, uh, yeah. the Cybermen guarding them doesn't, doesn't, is, is like super curious when they throw this thing out the door that is yeah. going to heat up and explode Outer. in his face. What could that be? <laughs> like, I got to say, okay, I was thinking about this and I was like, I would love to see the Cyberman focus group after <laughs> like doing the post-mortem on this adventure. Like, you know, right, lads. All right, let's uh, review. The doctor defeated us again. Uh, you know, let's go around the room. What, 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 where did we go wrong on this one? <laughs> mm. <laughs> like, well, do you remember when we put him in that, prison <laughs> and there were actually like a ton of explosives in there <laughs> you thought you thought that was a bad move yeah, and, <laughs> you think, any, any, any thoughts on that any <laughs> any criticisms any you know any uh, any notes that's what they'd say any notes on that <laughs> decision there by the cyber controller yeah um, what else but, why did we put him in a prison anyway <laughs> why didn't we just take him right to the cyber controller and, <laughs> yeah why put him in with someone who could conveniently explain the whole backstory <laughs> and give him the motivation? Uh, before we leave the crayons, mm. uh, we should say that it was also stunt casting. Believe it or right. not, uh, because Flast was paid by Faith Brown, who was a famous entertainer in Britain at the time. Vaughn was played by Sarah Green, who was a famous children's presenter at the time. And it was definitely so. The, there was a children's Saturday morning TV show called Saturday Superstore that she was on, and they would always advertise, you know, uh, various points in JNT and JNT's career. He and a few of the stars of the show would go on that morning's Saturday Superstar, basically to rem uh, Superstore to remind you to watch at the end of the day, right? Mm. So it was, a, it was a good reminder. Oh yeah, you know, I'll remember, I'll have to come in for tea at five because Doctor Who's on today and it's a good one. They've got Cybermen, right? So using one of the presenters of Saturday Superstore, it's absolutely shameless. Mm. Uh, not the first time that it happened in, in science fiction because I think perhaps, perhaps the most famous example in Britain, again, I'm getting super nerdy and British with it. I apologize. But uh, there's a guy named Peter Duncan who is in Flash right. Gordon. Huh. He's very briefly in Flash Gordon because, you know, he's the guy who kind of loses his hand by sticking it in this thing. The creature eats it off in, in the forest moon of whatever it is in Flash Gordon. Right. Anyway, you stick your hands and things, guys. Yeah, exactly. Everyone should know this in science fiction. Have they not read Dune? Come on. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so that was sort of a famous piece of stunt casting, which ensured that the movie Flash Gordon was covered to death on the British uh, kids' TV show Blue Peter that basically every every kid in Britain watched. That was very smart. Uh, not so smart. I mean, like that's the thing <laughs> that was what was not so smart in this stunt casting was to put these famous people behind those masks. Yeah, yeah. Who I, even knows? It, One of them is <laughs> Esther Freud, uh, who's like I guess she was this novelist or actor or you know what? One of the Freud clan. Yeah, it's, right. it's a really unfortunate choice of design, I have to say, because you can do, obviously, makeup and uh, costumes in such a way that you could see the human face. I mean, you can make it all silver. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the best example of this might be like the Draconians, where they had, you know, you could at least see the eyes and their features. Uh, they were mad. The parts of it were masks, but it still worked. Um, 
like if you're going to do that, if you're going to go to the trouble of casting someone like one, you want to see them. But also like we already have a race of people in this episode that are you can't really make out who they are. <laughs> did, did, did you have yeah. like one race of sort of interchangeable, unrecognizable people versus another? I mean, you know, you just kind of shrug at some point and you're like, OK, uh, I don't I don't know why I'm, I should feel for any individual here. Um, and again, that can be played okay if it's they're both inhuman, and you know you have Cybermen versus Daleks, and there's other works at play which they've done in the new series. But mm. uh, here, I just feel like I I found the Cryons both their the way they're depicted and their story kind of not really convincing or memorable. Um, so Esther Freud, just to just to follow up on that, she is a novelist. Uh, she was born in the same year as Doctor Who, 1963. Uh, she's the great granddaughter of Sigmund Freud. Oh wow! Uh, Look at that. And she's married to, or was married to David Morrissey, the next oh, Doctor. Oh wow! That's amazing. Yeah. And and you wouldn't know that she's even been in Attack of the Cybermen. <laughs> she's in it for two minutes behind a mask, and it's just, oh, why, why would you do this, JNT? It's it does sometimes seem like he's just, he's got this great idea for stunt casting, but then he he can't follow through. Yeah. And he's just shooting himself in the foot at every turn. Well, speaking of stunt casting, um, mm. although I don't want to leave the cryons yet. One second. One thing I will say about the cryons is that one thing that I think is a big missed opportunity. And again, this is like I like a lots of this episode, but I also don't like lots of it. And I wish they'd almost remake it. And one of the things I would yeah. love them to do if they remade it was that let's change the cryons motivation here because they've just been exterminated. And there's mm -hmm. a point where they're like, yeah, we've accepted our fate. Bullshit. What are you talking about? <laughs> Why would you even... What? No. You should have a plot here to change history for yourselves and actually support the Cybermen doing this because yeah. they would never... Like, that's actually like, wait a minute. You're going to prevent them from coming from just their plan to just... You know what I mean? The, the way they're changing history, they're never going to come there. And it's like... Yeah. That, that could have been a massive threat of this plot with duplicitous, double-crossing all the way through but it's you know it's just kind of thrown away like as soon as it's said yeah the, the the notion of who's on whose side is not really dealt with very well yeah uh, uh, uh Lytton is revealed to be working with the cryons well why didn't he just tell the doctor that yeah uh, uh it's it's not very clear why you know what how the distress signal was involved who was he actually caught with the dress distress signal summons the the cybermen is he trying to lure oh, did, them i did the um with the, the Time Lords, right? Like he sent the, the distress he, signal to the Time Lords from the. That's from their another thing is that Flast, when she's in the cell with the Doctor, says that the Time Lords are involved somehow. But I've I've read like episode analyses and recaps from the, the hardest core fans. They're not even sure what she was talking about, how the Time Lords were involved well, here. And how does she it's a throwaway know? I mean, there's a lot of like characters know things that mm. they probably shouldn't and there's no real explanation why and like how did the cyberman technology even get this good so that they could even detect anything a tardis is doing and mm. i guess you could say they it's all from the time vessel or whatever but there's a lot of convenient like i know this or i have this bits in this for the for the whole thing to hold together not that it even really holds together very well but yeah, you don't need to. Yeah, you don't need to give the Cybermen time travel because obviously that has huge implications. With yeah. which the script sort of ominously suggests there are huge implications. Yeah. But they get around to that, this. Right? They can, they can doesn't really follow. They haven't actually discovered time travel. That they've stolen a ship, and that 
the Doctor's TARDIS will be their second one if they can get it going. So, um, yeah, at some point the Doctor says something like, they've mastered the laws of time, like rather condescendingly, like, like you know, the Cybermen have just been doing, you know, a course in Einstein physics and like, yeah. like uh, they they understand Einstein space time now. Oh no! I also like well, there's 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 kind of a neat through line here if you're a really mm-hmm. hardcore fan, right? Which is that mm-hmm. the Cybermen aren't time travelers and probably never will be in the minds of many fans because hmm. the um there's there's actually they say this in oh god what is it um the Age of Steel where the mm-hmm. Cybermen there's a good little speech at the end by David Tennant the 10th Doctor and he talks about how the Cybermen if you're robbing people of emotions and creativity they're actually going to s- just stop they're not going to advance you can't you know there's no uh there's no without that motivation they're just going to be this bland race of of technologized beings and that's kind of they've kind of held true to that in, to some extent. So, in other words, like I like the idea that time travel, like if you look and if you parallel that with that, what they've described about how the how the time lords have seen technology, right? Which we've talked mm. about before with the deadly assassin. Yeah, they, they abandon it. They they kind of didn't abandon it, but they like um, they don't worship it. They 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 kind of right. didn't think that that's the be all and end all. And I like that they that a race that has kind of turned away from technology to a certain extent that that's the way to master time travel and somehow the mm. daleks have done that uh in a way that the cybermen never could because they're emotionless and they're they're all about technology that's the whole thing about the cybermen so um so that that in, in sort of the doctor who web that of time travel and races and galactic conquest that they've built it actually makes total sense that the cybermen just won't can't and won't be time travelers at least right. not on their own they just go around stealing time chips and not understanding them. Yeah. <laughs> well, they wouldn't be the first. <laughs> Wandering into those capsules as Thurlow did and yeah. jumping around. Everyone, anyone can jump, you know, wander into a time machine and start doing whatever. Pushing buttons. What does this do? Oh, my. And I'm in the yeah. reaches. Just Holy click cow. your fingers. Yeah. Yeah. So. So, yeah. Okay. But it just sort of, you know, as you point out, uh, it's kind of a paradox because the uh, the cryon should be on the side of the Cybermen uh, warning Mondas. I guess that's what they want. To, it's not even clear what the evil plot is here, right? Yeah, we're, oh, we're, are we we're, there? We're not there yet. We're not, <laughs> not there yet. But I'm just, in order to try to understand the story, we have to try and understand what, what the Cybermen are doing. And well, what my understanding doing, is. Yeah, go ahead. They, so we saw in the Tenth Planet the Mondas uh, gets destroyed by sucking energy out of Earth, right? Mm-hmm. It sucks too much energy. It can't handle the Earth. Right. It thought it could handle it. It's done too many lines <laughs> of Earth. It explodes. Um, and uh, let that be a lesson to you all, kids. Don't do not do too much Earth. Um, and then, so I guess they, they're going to... So Haley's Comet is going to smash into Earth, right. and that's going to reduce the amount of energy? On Earth, I, I guess think it so wiped that... out Earth. Okay, and so I, I, again, I don't know really what the energy sucking technology is, but it's like there is now no force on Earth to work against the Cybermen when they come, and they can just right. suck the energy and leave, or not suck the energy and leave, or whatever. Uh, <laughs> I guess they need to destroy the Z bombs first. Yeah, I guess they would. I, I now I have to sort of think back to exactly what the plot was in the Tenth Planet and why they didn't just. Uh, that, I guess they had to have control of the South Pole base to turn off the 
energy sucking stuff or something. Yeah. And they tie there. I, I forget what that was again now. But anyway, that's that's kind of the evil plot. Yeah. I, and I, I get it. It doesn't really matter what the mechanics of it are. They're there. They're back in time to prevent Mondas from being destroyed. And but that would why. aid the crayons. That would actually aid the crayons. Right. And they never yeah. really fully explore that. So um, I, that's I, why this I, can't again, be an anti-colonizing yeah, narrative because you're not. not I'm not looking yeah. to see the cryons again or anything. So I'm not saying like, <laughs> let's let's patch that uh, leak in Doctor Who's continuity here. But uh, it is a big missed opportunity here that there could have been an even more uh, elaborate plot full of double crosses with this other alien race that actually, again, I think parts of it work well. It just just isn't fleshed out at all and the really bad costume choices. Yes, uh, very much so. Now, it really does look like bits of you know uh, wrapping paper kind of. Uh, screwed together with bits of plastic and yeah now um, I, I do feel the need to i think cut to the <laughs> the, the heart of this for me anyway and why i yeah. actually probably came back liking it a little more and uh it might be sort of a post new who thing of why i did but it is the cybermen themselves and i do like them in this episode though they're flaws that i, I could pick at uh, in terms of how they're depicted, <clears throat> and certainly as technicians, as always, our villains, our monsters are not that great. We already talked about the explosives and stuff, but uh, they, they, you know, sending one guard to take on Bates and Stratton was probably not the best choice. And I don't know why they were surprised that two cyberized uh, humans were actually able to take on a Cyberman. Yeah. Um, anyway, the whole Bates and Stratton in the quarry subplot, again, like that that's Hoofians know apparently that that is the same quarry as in uh tomb of the cybermen mm. which i don't know <laughs> like did they deliberately choose that quarry the, the three people who would notice who are able to detect <laughs> what quarries are being used uh like again there seems to be too much of a focus on that sort of thing and not enough yeah on making what what ended up on screen actually good well, agreed and that's actually a good segue to the cyber controller who yes. is one unfortunately one of the things about the cyberman that doesn't work in this episode and even though the character is okay like the fact that they decided to go back and get michael uh i think it's kilgariff michael kilgariff to portray him, who is the same guy who portrayed the cyber controller way back in tomb of the cybermen again good on paper Hmm. But it's because, you know, he's a very physical actor. He's six foot five. That's why he was cast way back then. But he's now six foot five. And I think his waist might be six foot five as well. <laughs> by the time he was, sorry, Michael, I, I mean, I'm sure he's Aww. long gone. But I mean, he's he is clearly like not the right actor for this. I mean, I think it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Scene one. And it's like, I don't, I think yeah. they're just too nice and just. Uh, he's 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 kind of a bit of a bit of a Shatner going on there. Um, not, yeah, it's yeah, not, it's he, not good. The cyber controller's been uh, those late nights. You know, <laughs> cyber control pounding back the Cheetos. <laughs> yeah, we need to squeeze them into a cyber corset. Um, yeah, was, that's it, what's necessary. It's an unfortunate because yeah. I just found that like it, it takes me out. It's actually not as bad as I remember. I remember being sort of shocked by it um watching as a kid this time i was expecting it and i'm like oh okay i guess you know they did their best to hide it but it's still like i mean that's that's and some it's, holy it's, cyber action you there. know whereas the the you know with the daleks you have a you know not just one but two definite leaders right you you have an emperor and you also have davros right and they're both scary figures the yeah. cyber controller 
has no handles and mm. his head is a bit tall and, and dusted with sort of rust, yeah. like a rusty reddy color. And it is the, uh, it did remind me of the, the old uh, British insult knobhead, uh, kind of what, what he looks like there in this, in this story. Yeah. It's just, it, it's not scary. I, I've, I haven't seen two Cybermen, so I don't get the reference. Yeah. And just why? What what is he after? What is he doing? Why do all the Cybermen look up? Like none of this is explained. Yeah. Um Yeah, I just I'm lost here. Yeah, it, it might be a good time to um I <laughs> this might be a bit of a digression, but I do mm-hmm. want to talk about it. So the cyber controller, bringing back the cyber controller, I think that's fine. Um, he's not given a lot in terms of the actual plot to wrap his sort of diabolical mind around. So, but he, he mm. he's kind of the boss, and you get it, and he's portrayed that way. I think they could have done made a few aesthetic choices beyond just the recasting that would have improved it. Whatever, he's fine. But there's dialogue that implies that this is the same cyber controller as the one from Tomb of the Cybermen. So the Doctor and the Cyber Leader and the TARDIS are like, you know, the, you, you have the word of the Cyber Controller. Well, he was destroyed, implying there's only one. And then it's like, mm-hmm. well, no, it's only damaged. And it's like, oh, okay. So, and then there's there's so many things here that connect this, obviously, with Tomb of the Cybermen, uh, with Telos, but also the tombs, right? And there are these sort of rogue Cybermen in the tombs that are, are malfunctioning. They sort of busted out of them and are going yeah. uh, nuts, which is, again, a bit of a throwback to the invasion, actually, and not Tomb of the Cybermen, but mm. it's, you know, all the references. But here's the thing, okay? And this is, I'm going back. I know I've, this is, I'm, I'm doing Do myself it. with the fans to go back into this, but <laughs> I think this confirms, at least from the classic series stance, that... The, the we're we're not supposed to recognize that the Cybermen look different, right? Like, like it's not actually mm-hmm. a thing in the show at this point. And again, I'm going to concede this did become a thing in the show with the Doctor Falls. All of that was portrayed. It actually started even earlier than that in um, right. the Nightmare and Silver. But that like it's it's clear that oh, they, like we're kind of supposed to ha- put some blinders on our eyes and just like oh yeah, I guess like. These look different from the Cybermen back then, but you know it's just because we have different costumes and different production values. And yeah, that you'll just take some Earthrock Cybermen, won't you? It'll be fine. <laughs> it's just the same stuff. So, yeah. um, it, it is one of those things. Um, so that's my that's my. <laughs> I wanted to just uncork <laughs> that because I've been folding it in. Sure, <laughs> but yeah, it, it is it is weird. It's it's just uh, there's there's nothing that interests me or excites me anymore about these Cybermen. Like the, and they're the sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place. The reason the Cybermen in New Who work, I think, is that they are seen as automatons who won't stop. Mm. Right? They, they just, you know, it's, you think about New Who Cybermen, you think about the clanking feet. They've really right. got into that sound. It's the sense of an automated process that they're just going to clank their way through the universe and they have the delete catchphrase and they're going to catch you and they're going to convert you and they're going to take your emotions out. And it's like, it's just the threat comes from this not having a leader, but from having this automated process. Whereas yeah. the Daleks always need some sort of megalomaniacal leader to uh, push their flop plot forward. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. And so to your point, I don't think the cyber controller adds a lot here to that. Mm. But what everything you said actually I think bolsters like my view that 
the Cybermen are actually themselves are actually quite good in this episode in that I think they are effective in what you're talking about. They're they're kind of relentless, even though they only have so many costumes. They did a good job in this episode of trying to portray yeah. like there's actually a lot of these things because they, they a lot of them get killed and they, you know, constantly more and more seem to come out. Also, yeah. Uh, what I one of the best things about this, this is really the first time, even though it's not technically the first time, but really the first time in the classic series we've seen cyber conversion and done mm. really prominently graphically and throughout. And it's it it was long overdue, like in the sense that this is really portraying why these the Cybermen are this uh, horrible, uh, terrible, like a frightening race because they are us just converted. I mean, it's been the idea has been there since the very first episode, which we talked about at the time. <clears throat> they show it a tiny bit in term, Tomb of the Cybermen, but here it right. is on full display. And from a fan perspective, finally seeing this in in the, the process, as well as it being referred to, and I actually seeing it happen to someone, one of the characters, yeah. who kind of almost starting to like, is yeah. very very effective. Um, that was actually, yeah, thank you for reminding me of that. That was actually one of my favorite moments in, in this story was seeing uh, the half-converted Lytton. Mm. Uh, because he's, they, they sort of dress him slightly ridiculously. He looks like he has a giant tie flying out over his shoulder. Um, but also, he's kind of a this pathetic figure. You know, he's got, he's got the yeah. handles on, the face is still there, yeah. his... You know, you know, he's clearly a guy who carries himself well, thinks a lot of himself. Uh, you know, has a great amount of self-regard. Does Lytton, and to see him sort of defeated like that, and half converted, yeah. and near death, um, that to me was 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 scarier than than the blood than seeing yeah. the scene with his hands crushed, uh, because you you see it in his eyes there that he's he's losing himself. Yeah, and I kind of wish they'd played up more of that. Even like it's a mm. very bleak ending. Like there's no, you know, time ship heist, even though that's kind of set up, which is a little disappointing. And everyone just gets gunned down. Lytton yeah. is tortured and converted or starts to be converted. Um, and the Cybermen come like really close to winning here, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it, it, given all that. And I, I feel like there's not quite enough. Uh, they should have done a little more to sort of emphasize all of that. It's a very grim ending, and I, I kind of wish it was. It, they had ended when they when the Doctor and Perry run off. It's not just about the, him misjudging Lytton and no, oh, too bad. It's like holy crap, like wow, that dude. was that was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some assessment of the adventure might be nice. Yeah. Maybe we can have the scene in the TARDIS where they they go over and give notes on each other's performance. Yeah. Um, but my last but yeah, yeah. On, on the Cybermen and why mm -hmm. I really like them here, and this is might again, this is as I alluded to earlier, this might be a bit of a New Who reaction. More recently in New Who with Moffat and the Chibnall era, I think the Cybermen have been used more as pawns or second fiddle to either the Master or some other force. Um, yeah. So usually it's the as master. in Dark Water, yeah, yeah, Dark Water, Death in Heaven, uh, even even the Timeless Children. And, um, mm. you know, various, uh, the, the Ash, even in Ascension of the Cybermen, it's not really like, uh, even though if Ash is kind of a Cyberman, he's not really, um, right. here, I, I like, I was, it was, it was refreshing to me to go back to old who and seeing the Cybermen sort of masters of their own destiny, having their own plot, which isn't on its face. Again, a terrible plot uh, it, on paper. It's pretty good. And 
you know, generally being a force not to be not to be effed with. I mean, like, uh, and actually, like, even though David Banks has, you know, he's kind of a his his. You either kind of really like that portrayal or or you don't. I actually happen to like it. It is emotional. It's an emotional performance mm. of the Cyberman, but I do like that he has has opportunities to show his strength and and like uh, assert himself almost like as on a stage. Like when Griffiths, one of my favorite lines of the whole thing is Griffiths is there uh, as he says, "Getting a bit rough, is it?" Like. <laughs> yes, of the sermon. and he's like, he basically like grabs his head and like crushes it. And apparently, in the original script, he just he just offs him. Like the, the cyber leader just kills yes. Him. So so Griffiths. This is mentioned in a lot of discussion yeah. of this particular show that that Griffiths uh, is the ending was rewritten as so as to not kill him, which is great. But he's also like we don't actually get his ending. Like he's supposed to right. get all of these jewel, all these diamonds for helping the uh the crayons and uh and and he sort of doesn't we don't see him get his reward he dies he gets Which, gunned down he di- griffiths does get gunned yeah. down no that's oh. that's like at the final bed with bates stratton and griffiths and they're about to get to the time ship and instead of opening the door it electrocutes uh bates and then the door opens there's a single cyberman there and he guns down griffiths and stratton Oh, okay. Well, yeah. so Griffiths was supposed to die earlier, <laughs> and the, the only change was that he dies later. Okay. Yeah. Though, and it also, Great. Like, I got to say, like, <laughs> the whole idea of um, the Cybermen already know they're, they're planning to steal the time vessel. Mm. I, I don't think it's that hard to guard it, right? Like, I don't think you have too much to worry about, like, if you know that. Like, you're like, okay, let's just post a bunch of guards and hunt down that guy. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's It, it seems... It's oh, man. You can tell how much attention I was paying yeah. by the end of the story, can't you? <laughs> um, yeah, all these characters right, we don't care about. Bates and Stratton. I cared about Griffiths, and somehow I missed his, his actual untimely demise in this. I wanted him to be the one who walks away, you know, almost like... Uh, uh, you know, in, in uh, oh god, who is it in Reservoir Dogs? Who Mr. Pink escapes at the end with the right. with the money? Uh, kind of could have been that figure, and you know, Brian Glover, such such a big feature of my childhood, would have loved to see him and have a win here. So, before we get into our regular segments, Chris, mm. there's one thing we kind of skipped over uh, oh, early yeah. on, and I think it's it's Perry's outfit. Oh God! Yes. I'm <laughs> now glad you mentioned that. As as a couple of guys, I think we gotta <laughs> tread carefully here. But I'm also like, what? <laughs> well, I'll let you go first. <laughs> what? Well, as a as a guy, as a heterosexual man who uh, you know has had a crush on many Doctor Who companions, um, no, just no. <laughs> there is nothing attractive about yeah, Nicola Bryant in this, and it it's uh, it's it's. Not necessarily the costume. I think you'd have to be yeah. really super self-confident to carry that off, to make that costume work. It's basically, right. she's wearing lycra, pink lycra. It's like the most 80s you could get. It's all pink lycra. It leaves nothing to the imagination. Apparently, they had to tape over her nipples because they were, quote, okay. obscene, according to JNT. Um and uh yeah why would you, i'm i'm more concerned about the heels because there's a scene earlier on where the doctor is striding off confidently in the direction of what wherever he thinks the sing- signal is 
And Perry is just following him in these heels, sort of rather like, you know, the the family dog might follow you around as you walk around the house. It's like pointless. Right. You could just stand there and wait for him to decide which direction he's going in. But no, Perry has to skitter after him in high heels. Why would she do that? And it just it, it adds the complete unbelievability of Perry's character, which I wasn't too big a fan of her as, as a kid. But now I look at her and I'm like, poor Nicola Bryant. She is yeah. so out of her depth here. She's saddled with this accent that she clearly can't do. Uh, which is definitely clearer now <laughs> watching it from America than when I was living in the UK in 1985. Um, you you and she settled with these costumes. It's terrible. What I found out about her, her accent and not just her accent, but her choice of words. Mm. I felt, uh, I always kind of felt like, um, well, for the, in her first couple of episodes, I think her accent sort of weaves in and out a bit here and there, but she, I think she's much more on it at this point. So she, I don't mm-hmm. think she weaves too far out of her American accent, but the choice of words, I was always sort of harsh on her about, uh, which I shouldn't be because it's what's written for her anyway. But apparently a, a good chunk of the words she would use was a matter of debate on whether she should use an Americanism for, mm-hmm. uh, how something was said or, or the, the Britishism because they didn't want to confuse people. So one right. example in this one is when she's telling the doctor, we should call the police or she, the, the, apparently she wanted to say cops, yes, you know, and it was like, but that was, a, I guess they went back and forth about it and they decided on, so it wasn't apparently uh, if you ever think that she's saying a weird Britishism, she says, come off it at one point, which isn't really that common a thing to <laughs> right. say in America. Like the, those are probably all debated and just thought, okay, well we want to, we don't want to throw our British audience off. So we'll yeah. have her say the British. Doctor, we should call 999. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, for, for someone who hasn't been to Britain before, uh, supposedly in the show, right? Perry hasn't actually visited the UK yet. Oh, yeah. I, I read that somewhere. True. We meet her in Lanzarote, I guess, right. in Planet of Fire. She's originally from Pasadena. It says on her yes. passport. <laughs> she's really not a pasadena girl um although that that might explain the lycra um <laughs> well the lycra getting back to that my original question i i i pretty much agree with everything you said i think like in a for the time it's it's kind of a lame and offensive and gratuitous uh, but i'm mm. also like you know the way women dress has kind of changed in a lot of ways. like obviously all this changed a lot in a lot of ways but like being more provocative in your dress and having that be a, a, a you know a, an empowering or thing you do out of self-confidence has become more of a thing in the last 20 yes. years or so so i think like in other words looking back now if if i see it through that lens I think it's fine. It's too bad to see it through the lens of the time because it's hard not to. And it's just this gratuitous thing. But I kind of want to see I I wish she was more portrayed in that manner so that I could could believe that those kind of choices more. Um, But uh, it's just Mm. so so much of her and her in this story as well. Like she's just kind of. Uh, it's a weird thing about Perry. She always wants to go and wants to be safe. And it's a, yeah. like, uh, do you oh, not come know? On, doctor. Like, yeah, exactly. Let's go. go back to the TARDIS doctor. Yeah. There's a lot uh, of that. Um, and it's such it's a misuse a, of her character no. as well, because we were introduced her to her as uh, she was an archeologist. 
Did I get that right? Uh, Papagillian Brown? Botanist. Botanist. Okay. So, you know, she, she's, we meet her yeah. uh, on an, in an academic context. Right. Right. And you would think that she would be going around the universe, you know, showing off her speciality. <laughs> picking flowers, picking alien flowers. Yeah, oh. or just just something like that would give her a motivation to be out and not like, oh, doctor, let's go back to the TARDIS. It's like having decided that she's a smart, sciencey kind of person. They're like, okay, we've established that, and now we're just going to give her the dialogue of, you know, of a nineteen eighties bimbo. Yeah, I, I, and it's so unfortunate. It's unfortunate, and I think it, I have to headcanon it a little bit just to sort of mm-hmm. um, one uh, forgive the the things we're seeing on screen but also to sort of justify how different she is actually if you look at listen to certain audios now what that she's come back and it, the character is obviously treated much better uh in most of them and um my headcanon on this would be that because early on in her journeys with the doctor uh, caves of androzani happens which yeah. they both almost die and the doctor actually does die and obviously yeah. regenerates and i think that sears her for the rest of her time with the doctor and she, she becomes much more cautious, not, not just for herself, but for him. Cause she knows having lived through that, that it, you don't always get out of these scrapes without, yeah. without uh, some serious consequences. So that's kind of how I'm justifying it in my head. Um, even though it doesn't really make for uh, a great use of the character in episodes like this. It is. It is very unfortunate. I like that idea. Like <laughs> Perry is much more interesting to me now. Once you, you said this notion, <laughs> like she sees herself as having a duty of care to the Doctor. Yeah. Like after after the caves of Androzani, and certainly after the almost being strangled by him in the Twin Dilemma, you might think she'd take this opportunity. Now she's actually on <laughs> Earth in her you know proper time zone. Uh, well, not time zone, but yeah, proper year. Uh, you know, she could just hop on a plane to New York. Um, I, I knew what you and, meant by time zone. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, in nineteen eighty-five, you know, she she could. This would be a great excuse for her to to do a Tegan and yeah. just sort of say this this is too much. I'm I out of there. Doctor. But the 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 only way it makes sense is what you're talking about is that she's actually worried about him. Mm-hmm. He's gone a bit mental with the regeneration. She does mention that a few times. He name checks her as several other companions. Um, she right. seems to automatically know that Jamie is a male companion, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and also Zoltan. Is it Zoltan? Zodin. Zodin. Uh, and the, Zodin. the terrible Zodin, which is a reference to five doctors, mm. right? It was, yep. it was, uh, uh, Patrick Troughton saying that and the brigadier not recognizing the name. Um, yeah. And it, I guess it became a running joke at that point. And and yeah, now Zodin is name checked as if they were a companion. To my knowledge, it's the only other time it's name checked in the classic series. I, I think they might have done a thing with Zodin in the books or comics or something at some point. But just to yeah, just to actually circle back to that. <laughs> but it's like it, if if that was that was sort of a new Who ish thing to do, you know. Mm. But but new Who would follow through on that. Like it would be a whole season long arc about who is Zodin, right? Uh, you know, people would be interested, in. but but here is it's just a throwaway line that I guess you're supposed to have remembered the mention in the Five Doctors. Yeah, uh, I feel like there's already so many references. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, yeah. you know, it's enough. I, enough. It, and it's, it's you got to remember. Though. I mean, 
you know, I feel like I point this out a lot on Pull to Open, but you have to remember the way these stories were originally screened on British TV, which is you would be very lucky if you'd get a repeat. They were invariably screened once and never seen again. Right. And you you didn't even have previously ons. You just got, you know, the last 10, 15 seconds of the previous episode up to the cliffhanger tacked on to the beginning of the next episode. That's all you had. If you didn't have access to the TV times or radio times, you wouldn't know what had happened in last week's episode. You're just supposed to stick it in your head and remember. Uh, so to, to, to take all these details from like, you know, I'm, I'm rewatching these shows now. Like, how is anyone going to know what you're talking about? <laughs> because New Who is so self-conscious about that, right? Right. We've seen this. It's self-consciously for a mass audience. This is, on the one hand, trying to be for a mass audience with rather cynical tactics like the violence and like Perry's outfit, yeah. but not actually being for a mad audience in, in terms of the story and not even being for Who fans. They're like, how many of them are going to remember all these references well i did <laughs> yeah. well you again you, you were watching it in a different set you were watching it where it was screened constantly right on on canadian well public it, yes it was it was actually yes. i watched it on public television um yeah uh, that we got in canada but the got it. um they would rerun the runs of various doctors yes yeah. so you you probably uh, assuming your local pbs affiliate would renew its Doctor Who contract, it would, um, and it was, every was it on years that your doctor would come out around again every year. Was it on every day? Was it on? Um, it used to be on every day and then it switched to just Saturdays, but then they had these, um, they would, they would put all the episodes together and actually edit them together. And it would, right. you wouldn't even get the, uh, closing credits and then the opening of the next right. one that would, it would just all be one story, which, um, I, uh, looking back on is the wrong way to watch the show, but it does <laughs> solve that problem of like, oh no, don't don't go anywhere. <laughs> we the next part's coming right up, you know, like yeah. So, but uh, that's but that is you just you were getting a wealth of Doctor Who knowledge, and I guess all PBS viewers did compared to the BBC viewers, um, and of course it was the BBC viewers that mattered because that's how you keep Doctor Who out of trouble and out of cancellation. Yeah, I just thought there was just, frankly, just too many references in this one. I think references can work um, better if they add to the story in some way, or at least are very knowing winks that um, are good for character. But here, the zoted thing is it's just nothing. You know, it's just whatever. Yeah. It's, again, gratuitous stuff for for fans, uh, which can be good. Uh, not so good in, in this particular detail. Um, yeah, it's a shame. So uh, I think we gotta we gotta ask a f ourselves a few questions now, Chris. <laughs> we do. So first up, why did the randomizer take us here in the first place? Oh, I, I think <laughs> I think the randomizer wanted to keep us down and uh, <laughs> remind us that there are horrors out there on our journey, uh, <laughs> such as this story. No, I think the randomizer brought us here. Maybe maybe it was the Colin Baker comment that we did last week that. Uh, uh, Orcon in State of Decay right. uh, was originally, Colin Baker was considered for that role, which I actually think he'd be pretty good in, playing a villain. Right. Seems more, more his speed. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess the randomizer kind of uh, drew that connection. Uh, what, what else do you think? Well, my, my theory is that vampires and Cybermen actually have a lot in common. Mm. They are both monsters who either want to kill you or convert you. In Very true. They are. So it decided to sort of take us from uh, one Time Lord threatening race to one that isn't quite 
so time lord threatening but they might be <laughs> if the answer to our next question goes in a certain direction so I, w- I would also add by the way before we leave why the randomizer brought us here we've been asking the randomizer so many times to give us an actual dalek or an actual cyberman story right with dalek or cyberman in the title hmm. and this is the first time that it's actually done that and I'm gonna, I'm gonna say I hope it's the worst time that it's actually done. That. <laughs> uh, so you, you did know, not it's like only... this episode I'm getting. We'll get to that, <sighs> later, but I'm getting the sense you're you weren't you're not a fan. Um, so yeah, not my favorite. So the um, the next question: but What if it? What if it had succeeded? What if the evil plant succeeded? Okay, so the okay. evil plant is uh, slam a uh, slam Halley's comet into Earth. Right now, exactly. I I have looked this event. up. I I have. <laughs> I've uh, done my research and I've gone straight to Quora where someone has asked the question, what would happen to the human race if Halley's Comet hit the Earth? Uh, the answer appears to be uh, you get a crater about 33 kilometers deep, 89 kilometers wide, uh, magnitude 10 earthquake, uh, okay. 250 kilometer fireball. Uh, basically, it would, it would destroy all of London, all of greater London. Um, but then you'd get shock waves around yeah. the planet, a mega tsunami. Um, Light out the sun, I'm sure. Yeah, probably a nuclear winter. It yeah. depends where it hits, right? It, it does yeah, depend a lot. If it hits the land ocean. or it hits the ocean. Um, but then there's there are also other answers pointing out that it's it's just it's a it's a bit of ice. It's it's a giant bit of ice, so it would lose a lot of its mass on the way to Earth. Yeah, in theory, it, it uh, traveling through with the heat, I guess it would lose some. I don't know. It's but hard it, to like, know. there is a seven tenths chance, a seven in ten chance that it's going to hit water, right? right? So, it gets so basically, w- the Cybermen are trying to destroy Earth by dropping an ice cube in a, in a glass of water, basically. <laughs> uh, and it's an ice cube that's going to go through the atmosphere. It's going to burn up. It's going to reduce itself. You know, yes, there'll be a mega tsunami around the world. Yes, coastal cities will be screwed. Uh, not necessarily a nuclear winter in in that scenario, right? Um, not sure how water vapor water vapor might actually work to to blot the sun out a little bit or just re- reduce the heat on Earth. But bottom line, it's not necessarily going to be a mass extinction event, right? Not necessarily, but it's a global catastrophe, no question. Like right. if, if it hits the Earth, oh my God, the, the Earth is scarred and there's a massive. Problems. It would be too distracted to use its Z bombs yeah, against so Mondas. Like, certainly by 1986, uh, when by the time Mondas rolls around, it's uh, we're barely recovering. And yeah. when Mondas comes, it's a weakened planet and uh, more easily susceptible to a cyber invasion. Um, yes. By the way, this is also a weird reason why they chose to do this in January 1985, because Halley's Comet wouldn't arrive for another, what, 18 months? After that, its nearest pass to Earth yeah. uh, was was in eighty six. Sounds right. So, talk about you know having a tipping, ticking time bomb in the episode. <laughs> you could you could have a scene where everyone's just like looking at their watches, like any month now, <laughs> <laughs> the comet will get here. Just you wait. Yeah. So, uh, was it Ken Planet? Was it when was it broadcast? September? I forget. It doesn't matter because it wasn't in. It was a contemporary. But right. Um, so I guess how would the, how would it succeed? Well, I guess you could sort of go like, well, Lytton probably didn't do so well as well as he does here, and can't harm the cyber controller. So the cybermen end up recapturing the doctor. Um, mm. 
so they presumably they break into the TARDIS again because they seem to do that easily and grab Perry, kill her, eliminate her, capture the doctor, probably interrogate him before so they get his knowledge of the TARDIS or just convert him and get it. So they, they, they use the Halley's Comet in the way we talked about. Mondas succeeds. They're also, by the way, assuming that the human race is not going to launch all of its nuclear missiles at the comet, which... As opposed to Armageddon, like, you know, we know the Armageddon scenario doesn't work if you just fire nukes at a rocky asteroid. But fire it at a comet, you might actually have a chance. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's just it's just ice. Well, bits of rock, but mostly ice. So are, uh, we, are we going much easier plot, to break up? evil plot succeeding, not succeeding? Like, in other <laughs> words, they succeed, but it actually doesn't work, like what they wanted to do? <laughs> Possible. Okay. Well, let's say it succeeds in the sense that it it's you know they they distract Earth, whatever they 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 you know feed us nineteen eighties soap operas until we're completely distracted by the fact that Halley's comet is headed towards us, and then it does actually hit land. Yeah, where I was going with it was that like if Mondas destroys Earth, sucks it dry, or and it blows yeah. up, that they it actually creates the paradox that the Doctor was talking about. So yes. they don't go to tell us. Um and uh, actually ends up wiping out the cyber race because it, it they it's just, the time doesn't make sense and it tries to heal the wound and chronovores come out you know like those weird things uh, those weird times father sterilize the wound yeah. and um but the 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 original time traveling cybermen are the only one who survive so that thus becomes mm. a quest for them to restore their empire and learn more about how to screw with time. And so they actually gradually become these kind of like cybermasters that we sort of saw in in the Timeless Children. They sort of become Ooh. Time Lord Cybermen trying to restore their race. And at various times, they sort of come close to succeeding. And then maybe they succeed and they, it becomes this interesting time war between the Cybermen yeah. and the Time Lords. because they're both, Time War 2.0. Yeah. So I thought that would be kind of cool. And then the Daleks just sit back and decide to fight the winner. <laughs> <laughs> well you would think that the daleks would cynically align themselves with the cybermen oh no in the time war no yeah request yeah. denied <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm ascribing too much strategy to them there yeah they're uh so, i don't know ally yeah. themselves with anyone unless it's there's a pandorica at stake <laughs> yeah with well, the one exception well, I guess they they all just sort of took turns on the uh, on Trenzalore attacking the Doctor. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I, I kind of like that idea. Um, you know, it does mean the Doctor is might be converted, which is interesting. And does he become mm -hmm. the first of these Cybermasters to sort of guide them? All right, Cyber Time Lords. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he yeah, I like that idea. House the controller, and then maybe you could even get that reverse somehow because the Doctor's still there, and if his brain is still inside a cyber body. Maybe he could be pulled out of it, laughed at the end of all this thing, and restored, and you, we still get Sylvester McCoy. Possibly, uh, or we, we well, could basically, <laughs> if we <laughs> if we remember um, uh, Dark Water, Death in Heaven, the the Cybermen and that were Missy's gift to the Doctor, mm. um, so that he could go forth and conquer across the universe. Because she recognizes right. that he actually has this desire to right all the wrongs in the universe, and she just wants him to be as bad as him and do it with an army of Cybermen. Yeah. So maybe he would actually do that in this in this case. Maybe we do get the the angry god 
uh, a little earlier and in a slightly different way, uh, which could be could be interesting. Yeah, yeah you know, it just it, w- w- once we iron out all of the wrinkles in Attack of the Cybermen and straighten out what the evil plot actually is, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm interested in it succeeding. Yeah. Um, and you know, it, it is. This is, by the way, another story in which the Doctor tells us this. He's a, a Time Lord from uh, the planet Gallifrey in the constellation Castabrus. Um, mm, that's which right. Which is, you know, a line that would be oft repeated. And uh, it's that that did put me in mind of of New Who, Angry God style Doctor. So, yeah, yeah, that would actually be a good use for Colin Baker's Doctor. Maybe yeah. if he'd gone cyber, he wouldn't have been cancelled. Yeah, not quite the oncoming storm yet. Maybe he's just, you know, there's a there's a breeze in the air. It's a squall. It's a squall. There you go. I like it. <laughs> the oncoming squall. So, Chris, it. where's Clara? Yes, yeah, so regular listeners know that we do this segment where we talk about the Clara Splinter, and we assume that the Clara Splinter uh, from Name of the Doctor has been scattered throughout its history, is in it, every story. We do know she t- tries to get Colin Baker's attention a lot right. in, in Name of the Doctor. It's like, you know, guy, guy in a colorful coat walks past and she shouts, Doctor! Um, and uh, so who, where is she here? What is she doing? How does she help out with any plot holes that we might have found? Well, maybe she's, uh, you know, educating the cryons in how to sacrifice themselves, why they need to sacrifice themselves to prevent a time paradox, right? Mm-hmm. Why, why they need to let these colonialists take over. Uh, What's that? These, these, yeah, you know, because the, that explains it. Maybe she teaches them how to use the, those energy weapons that they fire on the Cybermen with, because they turned out to be pretty handy with a blaster, yeah. just like the Doctor. Yeah, that's good. that could be it. That she was on Telos yeah. for a bit. She had, must have gone with some, like, I don't know, some parkas. <laughs> well, clearly what they need, this uh, the, the Cryons need a lot of mani-pedis, right, with those, with those nails. And, uh, you know, she, she could be the the owner of the only nail salon mm. on pre-invasion Telos. Uh, and that could be where, where she talks to people, you know, she talks to her customers. She's like, Hey, have you ever thought of handling an energy weapon? <laughs> like not for when the Cybermen invade, but maybe for a little later on. I like uh, that. That's yeah. cool. See, I, I didn't really have any great ideas, but the one that I thought of was, was that, did she just help with cleaning up the Cybermen's presence? Uh, after they leave the sewers, because uh, mm. I thought that the the base there would still be around. But actually, I, I as an, on rewatch, as I was sort of listening to some of the commentary, I realized there's a throwaway line from the leader that I missed, which is that they actually seal the base. They actually essentially abandon it. So mm. from from all the dialogue, it's credible that all the Cybermen and 1985ers actually leave in the timeship and go back to Telos by the end. So they're all destroyed. So right. that that there's no need for Calera to do that. Um, so here's my thought now. <laughs> Somehow, I don't know how, but she she puts it in a computer somewhere that the cyber controller thinks destroying the surface of Telos is a good idea. Right. <laughs> like somehow, because it's this seems like the most random part of the plot that's tacked on. It's like, well, they're going to blow up the atmosphere, the surface of Telos to see what it does to the atmosphere. 
And it's just like, yeah. is this really the best time to be doing that cyber controller? <laughs> like, you've already got a couple of big plots going on. I, I don't know if you want to blow <laughs> up the surface of the planet you're on. It right really now. does. Those those scenes with Stratton and what's his name really Bates. do feel like they're from a different Stratton and Bates. Yeah. Such eighties extras names. Um, but it's it's like why? Yeah, it seems like it's from a different show. Yeah, like they've cut in those scenes. And we don't care about them. We've no reason to care about them. So, so I feel um, like Clara is like in somewhere in the galaxy. I mean, she's some trendsetter influencer. Do you know what's really cool? If you've got a planet, you got to study what this does to your atmosphere, guys, because it's just <laughs> incredible. I'm not going to tell you what it does, but if you blow up the you know, surface of your planet, you, it's incredible. Check it out. The cyber controller is just tuning into this broadcast. Just like, yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> he's okay. watching her on YouTube. Yeah. He's like, he's really into all her science she's, experiments. She's got like six billion followers through the galaxy it's like well, she knows what i mean this is a thing you know it's a trend it's like it's like a tiktok trend he's just getting on right and he's trying to get the yeah. views he doesn't know most of her followers are bots <laughs> oh. entire cyber race is following her uh okay well that sounds like yeah. a, a decent explanation for, for where clara I'm is into it. and all right yeah and so time for the final rating. Time for the final rating. I, I think I, uh, I think I, you go first. Go ahead. Well, uh, our rating is on a Dalek Ogron scale. I'm definitely going to give this one a big old hairy Ogron. Oh, man. I understand. Uh, I did enjoy it. Uh, I, I was actually ready to give it an Ogron, but I actually came away liking it more for the reasons I talked about with regard to the Cybermen. I think they are depicted as more a more credible monster here. And even though the, too many of them get destroyed and uh, we didn't even stop to talk about how how fragile they are. I guess we did a little bit, but mm. um, it's very fast paced. It's action packed. Um, it's got way too much ambition and falls down, but um, and it doesn't really succeed on it. But I, I, I found it, you know, I found I came away liking it uh, and not thinking mm. I just wasted a ton of time. So. Um, that's i'm i'm actually I, I feel like i've wasted less of my time because you liked it <laughs> and uh because we've had a wonderful discussion here on pull to open and, and quite a long discussion we've we've gone long yeah. on this much longer than i expected uh yeah, and we, we haven't dunked on it too much yeah. even i a hater of this uh of this episode that i couldn't even recap age 12 or 11 or whatever it was uh yeah you know i, I didn't want to dunk on it too much um so I'm glad that we've discussed. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's to me, it's a Dalek. It's a bit of a wobbly Dalek. It's one of those old mm -hmm. ones that you know was kind of running into walls and can't see anything. <laughs> but um, it's it's you know still Dalek. You know, it's like that. That was Doctor Who. That was fun. And honestly, I think what what really wins here a bit, I guess, is this exactly what you talked about: talking about it, throwing in some headcanon, having some fun with it, and appreciating like the good stuff for it and i gotta say like i'm I, again I, I might be a little biased as you all my cybermen paraphernalia but I'm like <laughs> i love seeing those 80 cybermen and when and, and in this particular story i honestly do think they look their best earth shock was really good yeah um there is something about those crinkly suits yeah. that just it just takes me right back yeah so so like, you know, there's there's too much never, to never change cybermen yeah, or never. do change <laughs> Constantly upgrade. change all the time, Cyberman, <laughs> but never change that tinfoil look that you had from Earthshock, which just I, I will yeah. still always associate with the shock of Earthshock. I will say, um, I, I wish they had done at least one of those in the Doctor Falls. They did a lot of Cyberman mm. models, but they, you know, not nearly enough in my opinion. But anyway, 
yeah. another time. Turns out when you take them out of the 80s, they just don't look as shiny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think. All right. All right. Well, maybe, maybe we can. You, you're, tell, you're reminding me, by the way. Now we're, we're doing a little bit more with the uh, audio of the show and special effects. I think that we do need every time that we have a plot hole or something that just doesn't make sense in the show, we need to have the audio of a Dalek going, "Explain! Explain!" <laughs> <laughs> the challenge accepted. Explain. Speaking of explaining, so, let's explain where we're going next. Yes. Let's jump back into our TARDIS, use our randomizer, and uh, see where we go next. Now, the randomizer yeah. is two components. It's the codex, which is the spreadsheet of Doctor Who stories that Peter's looking at. Got them all and here. And then it is uh, the code. The, that's the codex. And then the, the uh, executor. I'm <laughs> going to do my best Perry accent. The executor. The executor. Um <laughs> is uh, played by random.org. Uh, more celebrity casting there. Random.org is a website that uh, will give you a true random number as opposed to a computerized random number. Computers are terrible at randomness. Their algorithms can't really approximate it very well. Uh, random.org uses atmospheric noise, uh, which is our way of leaving a uh, homing beacon for the doctor to run around after and uh, to tell us where in his or her adventures uh, they would like to to go next mm. so uh should we challenge we the randomizer ready shall we challenge Chris? it yeah what do you think what, what what do you think we should it should take us to i honestly i i feel like i've been burned by by classic who this time and i just i i would like to flee to the safety of a of a decent <laughs> new who episode uh watch it take us to fear her um, oh wow but yeah. <laughs> But yeah, take take us back to New Who randomizer. I'm 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 sort of, you know, as you can tell throughout this uh, episode, this is like nostalgically painful for me. <laughs> this particular one, so I'm happy to go back to the 21st century. What about you? Well, I've cha- I, I'm tempted to just say Daleks because we've never really done a proper <laughs> Dalek episode, and yeah. we just did a Cyberman one. But actually, I'm just going to go take us to any doctor that doesn't have the last name Baker. <laughs> All right. Well, you've got a uh, twelve and thirteen chance. Yeah. Uh, oh, sorry, a eleven and thirteen yeah. chance. Um, uh, so I like your odds there. All right. We- <laughs> that said, it is most of any individual doctor is still most likely to take us to Tom Baker. So, uh, yeah, we may not get up there. Um, so give you a countdown, sir. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Four, three, two. One. Excellent. 77. Oh, I didn't get my wish. You get your wish. You instead got Genesis of the Daleks. What? 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 No. I did it. Wow. Not asking for a Dalek episode got us to a Dalek episode. The grand. The ultimate yeah. Dalek episode. That's amazing. Wow. Holy cow. That's a lot <laughs> well, of I feel- episodes. It's six episodes? Yeah, yeah. Ah, I'd always remember it as four. It's going to be a three-minute TLDW if you want to start prepping. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, there's a lot of pressure there, right? Because oh, you've really yes. got to get this story right. Genesis of the Daleks. You in many people's God. estimations, one, one of the best, if not the best, in Doctor Who history. Yeah. Um, so it certainly it heard passed your, the test of time last time. I it, it heard your cry of being seared. And yes. you did something good, even if it didn't take you to, to new. But it also it completely ignored me. 
<laughs> Tom Baker again. <laughs> Tom Baker, when he was just but a budding doctor, he was he's a tiny indeed dog, fresh face, fresh face he's on the BBC. Teeth and eyes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm I'm excited to revisit this one. I have, of course, revisited it many times, um, but it's been a while. It's been a hot minute. Yeah, yeah. And so, looking forward to diving back into the world of Doctor Who and fascism. Mm, indeed, this is certainly uh, what this episode represents for a lot of people, and takes us back to a discussion we had in Inferno, fascist Britain. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. We get deep into Dalek mythology. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, of course, at the time, this this was completely out of canon, right? It was gainsaying many things that had been said about the Daleks before and their origins. Um, yeah, it's definitely one of those that, kind of re- that it's a retcon, as they did not say sure. at the time, but it's a big retcon. But uh, it was actually taken as as basically gospel on, ongoing. But we can also talk yeah. about that and what how the Daleks' origins were portrayed before and how how they actually have multiple origins if you actually look at. All the right and canon or non canon, and the time lords are in this. And this Mm -hmm. is, in many people's estimation, the beginning of the time war. True, Um, wow, so much to unpack! So much to unpack. All right, all right, we're gonna save it for the pod. This has been awesome. We're really looking forward to that. That's gonna be amazing. Um, Yeah, join us for a fun conversation about genocide. Yeah, but right now we're gonna have to grab our time rings and zip back <laughs> out of this <laughs> this podcast guys this has been pulled to open thanks so much for listening we're a podcast if you didn't know if you have not yet subscribed please do please share with your friends uh, we're available as we said at the beginning on all the good podcast apps especially apple uh and if you are listening on apple or if you have the app please take a few minutes to leave the review uh it'd be amazing uh, they really do help the podcast reach more ears. Also, follow us on social. We're super active on TikTok all the time. We're at Pulled You Open on TikTok. Very straightforward, easy to find. On Twitter and Instagram, we are at Pulled to Open 63. Follow us there, too. And, you know, go ahead and let's let's chat. We've been chatting more and more with some fans on Twitter. Uh, go ahead, add us. We don't mind. Uh, we love to chat uh, on all our platforms. And and in addition to the emoji reviews, please feel free to drop us some emoji uh, descriptions of story titles, which is a surprise we have for you next time. We, we got that this week. There wasn't much time to get to it, but uh, yeah. people have been tweeting story names in emoji form at us. Uh, so join us next week where we will be trying to guess live on air uh, what that actually is. Uh, but yeah, in the, in the meantime, stay Telos Frosty. <laughs> Take care, you guys. 